0: <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> create connect communicate uh-huh. create connect communicate artrurgical uh-huh. 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 enigmatic uh-huh. gift of uh-huh. gab super natural super, story, story from the, from the space, space
1: become well lit
2: uh-huh. <laughs> So you have, you have something later tonight,
0: right? Uh, Yeah, we have the, the what is it? The He Long Yeah Yeah Show. Uh, We have oh. our uh Qing Gong Yan.
2: Oh. Yeah, yeah. So we'll hop nice. over there after this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're having some controversy recently.
0: Yes. <laughs> Were you there for that show? No, actually, that's the one show I subbed out. Um, Lucky you. Fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. Well, I mean, well, I guess the new episode's coming out today, so you'll- You'll see kind of the rebuttal, mainly him. Just you know, of course, he apologizes. Him and and Boy, I don't know how many times they they do the show and then they make an apology. They do yeah. the show, they make the Boy, not as much, but Ho Long really, you know. I feel bad. Yeah, yeah, he feels bad about okay. it. Okay, I'm not sure what the schedule is. The apology schedule. The yeah, apology the, tour. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he does say one thing too. He does said, you know, this was the guest, and we obviously do not. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, said that was the guest, and people went after him, and said because, oh, but you kept it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's but again, that's not you know, fair. the guest
0: doesn't represent the show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so. then
2: you just, that's the thing, right? You have to just keep making disclaimers, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. everything and, needs and a everyone, trigger warning. And
0: yeah. And everyone knows the show. I mean, they go in after Xi Jinping, you know, way, you know, which is way more, you know, obviously, I, I'm not. You know, say one thing is more controversial than the other. Right, but right, right. But they obviously go for something that's way more politically sensitive. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, most of the sponsors backed out right away. I know. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. So even like, the. Really? Yeah. Cause usually we go and we have a couple of drinks because uh, Johnny Walker is one of the sponsors. Oh. They usually have a couple of bottles there. We go down, hey, oh, there's no more bottles. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. They pulled they everything. Took away the whiskey. Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. They took away the whiskey. We're all like, no, <laughs> they,
2: they cut the tap. No way. Yeah, so that's interesting. Really? Yeah,
0: But yeah, usually, I mean, I've been working with the STR network for a while now, or I should say working for, you know, they know what they're doing doesn't exist here. It's not accepted here. Exactly. Um, the mainstream media won't go anywhere near them. So. Right. But yeah, they know what they're doing is, it's very different and that it has to be pushed and that they're going to get a lot of pushback, which is very, very true. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love it. I love it. If that's Brian's attitude Mm -hmm. and just, just go for it,
0: you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do what you feel is right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. hundred percent. And you know, he's a, he's a comedian, so
0: yeah, he's a comedian. I mean, my part, I'm just in the band. We hang out, we drink. You know? Exactly, <laughs> but
2: no more Johnny Walker.
0: Yeah, for now, I'm sure they'll probably come back after,
2: you know. That's maybe. right. There's a short memory here, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah There's yeah. like huge controversy and every media like just covers it for a while and mm-hmm. then, then people forget about it. Well,
0: as I said, we were Saturday and it came up. It's like, well, Wang lee Home can come back. Exactly. Uh, tao can come back. That's right. Uh, yeah, this is no problem. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly
2: okay nice so i'm thinking we'll just basically go from the roots and then climb all the way up sure sure all right we'll see what happens i will uh give you a little bit of introduction and then we'll we'll just go from there all right cool okay here we go sir good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of firelight chats where we broadcast the most super natural and compelling voices and stories from our space lab studio here in Daan, taipei Taiwan. In the early 1900s, in the country where jazz was born, the United States of America, the so-called big band or jazz orchestra, swung and Lindy hopped its way into existence. This type of musical jazz ensemble usually consists of ten or more musicians of four sections: trumpets trombones, saxophones, and a rhythm section of guitar, piano, double bass, drums, and sometimes vibraphone. Fast forward to the 2000s, almost exactly 100 years later and the TPO, or Taipei Professionals Orchestra, was born on another continent, in Taiwan. In the early days of the COVID-19 epidemic, when the work ran dry, but the music kept pouring out like moonshine and other libations during Prohibition. Our guest for today's episode is none other than the founder and director of this big band, featuring some of Taiwan's freshest, local, and international jazz talents. Today, a mere few years after its inception, the TPO has a regular gig at Smexi's, has performed at the biggest jazz festivals in Taiwan, headlined last year's much-talked-about National Day fireworks show in Taizong, and is fresh off the release of their first album, entitled Rao Jing, or Twisting Roots. The story behind the making of the album and the deep connections to Taiwan is intriguing enough as it is, but so is the story of the making of the man himself behind the band. From the Midwest of America, He's enviably managed to travel through 48 of the 50 states of the Union and accumulate decades of memories from an accompanying array of big band and Broadway experience, playing with some of the greatest musicians and working on some of the most well-known musicals, touring well beyond Avenue Q and other demarcations and borders. The two of us also happen to be infected by the same disease, perhaps genetic, or maybe not, the incorrigible draw of wanderlust. Both having sailed the great wide seas, stowing away on cruise ships in our younger days. Both of us now having traveled to 50 plus, 50, 51, something like that, countries around the globe. And both of us always dreaming of yet another unexplored or unfamiliar musical encounter. So here we are our most recent guest, a classical maestro of the piano, our current guest of the hour or more, a jazzy player of woodwinds. And so, without further ado, let us ride those winds of change and fall deep like a redwood or a Taiwanese red cypress into the earth, worm around and around surreptitiously in that delicious dirt, and then climb around and around the twisting roots, all the way up to the superfly sky. Mocha and I, eager to freestyle chat, create, connect, communicate, and indulge in the story of our special guest for this latest episode of Firelight Chats. The one and only Mr. Jim Geddes.
0: Wow, nice intro. <laughs>
2: welcome, welcome.
0: Well, thank you, thank you. Happy to be here.
2: Yes. As I mentioned in the intro, you have quite an amazing story that twists all over the place like a tree. We will eventually get to that album that I mentioned, this debut album of the TPO big band. But I think we can just actually dig down in that fertile soil and figure out where the roots of this man lie.
0: I like where all these puns are going. Yes, thank you, sir.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So take us back. Take us down deep into the ground.
0: Well... Roots be, you know, anywhere you go, you have new roots. The original ones are back in Wisconsin, in the USA, more countryside. The exact city is, well, the exact city is Oakfield, which is maybe a thousand people. And the countryside of that is not actually in the little village. A little bit older, I end up moving to Fond du Lac, which is... Just north of Madison. Okay. Um. So very cold, especially for, for Taiwanese. The mm. First thing you will notice is that you have six months of mostly snow and, and ice mm-hmm. and uh, and frozen temperatures. How low does it get? Well, the coldest I've ever experienced. I remember one day I was in college up in Eau Claire. Eau Claire is famous because it's on two sides of a, of a river. So there's the West Bank and the East Bank. Um, and you have to cross this bridge across it. And this is actually how you don't know have a Wisconsin accent because I say to crust across across t- Yeah, yeah. So just hearing okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, I had a thermometer with me because we knew it was cold already. Windshield was hitting about -60. negative sixty.
2: Negative yeah, sixty. That yeah. is ridiculous. So
0: I know Fahrenheit Celsius is about the same around there. So right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Um, it's that cold
2: that doesn't even matter. It, it doesn't matter because Fahrenheit or Celsius. I
0: think <laughs> anything below negative thirty. Right. Is feels basically it just the,
2: merges into one hellish exactly. temperature. You know,
0: it's, it's so cold that you can, you breathe and you can actually feel your nose hairs. Right. They, they freeze. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a very interesting feeling. It's like symbols. <laughs> yes, exactly. But yeah, there I felt like I had a great opportunity. I don't necessarily come from a musical family. Family that's interested in music, you know, enjoy music, going and watching live music. But then, you know, basically I was under the impression that. If you are a musician of some sort, you can travel. You know, and at that point, growing up from a, you know, my mom and dad split up a long time ago, and so was my mom raising me. And you know, usually that situation is you want to get out of there, right? Yeah, you want to go somewhere else. You start seeing all these pictures from places around the world, and it's like, yeah, that's interesting. How do I get there? Huh. Oh yeah, I have no money. How do I get there with no money? Right, <laughs> you know.
2: So this disease was early on. This disease of wanderlust.
0: Exactly, and I have an aunt and uncle who do travel frequently. My uncle's in biochemistry. He's a a big part of biofuels in the process of making biofuels. So he's been traveling around the world since I was a kid. I think that was part of the reason, too. I saw that. And he's actually from New Zealand. I had a young introduction from a young age, seeing someone who is traveling around the world, and it's because of their job. I thought, okay, maybe I heard from my mom, from her friend who was teaching saxophone lessons, that, oh, this guy travels to Europe. Doesn't have to pay for his flight. Doesn't pay for a hotel. You know, I'm not sure if that was true. You know that. Right. I never got the the chance to ask him that, unfortunately. But that was the
2: romantic story that you remember.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, and I went, okay, so if I work at it, and I I did enjoy, you know, playing saxophone at the time, and eventually added clarinet and flute. So he played music. Yeah, he was. We called him the the local blues saxophone player. His name was Dan Guggenbach. Okay. He was very um, lighthearted, very happy. He was a cancer survivor from a young age. And so he always was very optimistic, but also very hardworking. You know, that was the one thing I was ever taking lessons with him. He always made sure that I was working hard too. I think he saw that I had a passion or a reason why I wanted to be playing this. Okay. Um, so he did push me. And so that was pretty cool.
2: When know? did you start these saxophone lessons?
0: It would be end of fourth grade, beginning of fifth grade. Okay. So whatever age that is.
2: And that was because of this kind of uncle.
0: Yeah. You know, that both well, my, I have two older sisters. They both play in the band. My oldest sister did play saxophone. And that's actually part of the reason why I play saxophone, Is Because when I went in to, to sign up for the instruments, I actually signed up for trumpet. And then later on, I go in and there's a saxophone there. And the band is like, oh yeah, well, your mom called and said, you already have a saxophone. So you're going to play saxophone. Oh, that's funny. Because yeah, my mom had bought one for my older sister.
2: Okay. Yeah. Split the
0: costs. Yeah, yeah, basically just, okay, she's not going to buy another instrument for me or rent one, so. Of course. Yeah, so that's how I kind of got stuck with saxophone. (laughs) I see. And you're still playing to this day? Yes, I am. (laughs) Wow,
2: okay. So if your sister had been playing the trumpet or the clarinet or the oboe, it might have been a different story for you? It
0: might be a totally different story. Right. I'm pretty sure I would have been some musician of some sort. A lot of times, you know, we always say, oh, the instrument affects you and then your personality or or this kind of personality more suits this instrument or something like that. But I think some people who want to play music is kind of fate, I guess.
2: Right. Yeah. So at first the musical instrument for you kind of represented a ticket for you to travel around the world, get outside of your small town. When did you fall in love with music? Did you fall in love immediately or did that take a while?
0: Um, I think it did take a couple of years, you know, actually when I, I wasn't very good at the beginning either. They always put me on the third saxophone, you know, always in the, the back row. Right. Basically, I think seventh grade is when it kind of really hit the bug hit and that's because I wanted to switch to baritone sax because I was playing alto in the beginning and then I switched to Barry in my, usually if you're in a band program. If you have a kid go up to the director and say, I want to play Barry sax, it's pretty unheard of because it's a big instrument, um, it's a deeper tone. It's a deeper tone, but very inconvenient to carry around. Right. You know, that's you know not a big draw. And my director, Dale Scheip, he was flabbergasted and he's like, yes, okay, great, great, great. i got a Barry. I need a Barry Sachs player, you know, and himself was a woodwind player too. Okay. And so he really understood all of this. And so I also kind of wanted to do Barry because no one else was doing it.
2: I see. Yeah. I was about to ask you, why did you choose the Barry and why did you want to do that?
0: I went, well, you know, I want to do something different. Hmm. Um, so I picked up Barry Sachs. And then luckily half half a year later, because they had a middle school big band, the kid who was playing Barry had very poor grades, you know. And so they you i up having to give up big band. Oh, I see. Um, and so there was an open spot. And so my director put me in there right away. And so that was kind of the opportunity into there.
2: Right. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. He was such a poor student.
0: Exactly. I almost <laughs> like... I, it, it sometimes you look like okay. Do you have opportunities because other people wasted their opportunity? And yeah, then, you know.
2: But that does really happen a lot, actually. It does actually. It's I a look good back lesson on, to learn.
0: I think I look back my life and I see it happening quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, really, I've heard a lot of stories like that. You know, yeah. from different people in different fields.
0: Yeah, I look at it like I don't really view myself as talented. I view myself as hardworking. I may not know exactly what I'm working for. But at least I have a direction. And I think that's super important. The fact that like, okay, I want to do something. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be in the end. Right. Um, but there are people who legitimately were talented. I'm not one of those people. Mm. You know, I always was placed last or a lot of times I was never the first one picked for bands or anything like that. But again, I look back and I think I, I have a lot of opportunity because the people who are talented kind of waste it. Right. You know. It happens a lot with yeah, the natural talent, right? Exactly. Um, I think attitude's a huge thing too exactly um, humility um, yeah <laughs> well, well i just look at attitude you know that's super important as a musician i look at myself as very thankful that i can as i tell my students i blow into a piece of metal and then people give me money mm, you know i kind of right well, not all the time but most of the time <laughs> <laughs> on, a <good> <laughs> on a good day on a good right? day right um, I look at that and go, Okay, I'm very thankful for that. You know. Right. So I try to be as humble as possible just because to remember that it is a gift that I've gotten, you know, and, and a gift that I can share. Right. Yeah.
2: So you went through high school. Did you do band in high school? Or Yeah,
0: I was doing band. I was doing jazz band in seventh grade after going to the Eau Claire Jazz Festival. Having a great deep conversation with my teacher and him realizing that I'm serious. I really want to go after this. As I said, he was a woodwind player. And so he got me onto playing clarinet after that, which is I'm so thankful for. Because a lot of times my work now is I play sax a lot and I got to play clarinet a lot. I got to play flute a lot and I got to sound like I'm natural on those instruments not like just another instrument instrumentalist playing a different instrument and clarinet is one of those instruments that you have to start earlier because it is much more difficult and so i was very thankful that he had pushed me onto clarinet which enabled a lot of the broadway shows because they're all doubling books by doubling i mean they play multiple instruments when you're playing the show so that was very very useful in that
2: i see So that was kind of the spark in a lot of ways is this jazz festival.
0: Yeah, you know, and um, I'm telling people, especially last year, I had the great honor of bringing the great Kenny Holman here. Yes. And Kenny, I first met at that jazz festival in seventh grade. And Kenny was the saxophone player for Prince. Or if you look at his resume, it's one of those incredible resumes that you've never heard of this person. Uh, People are starting to hear about him now because he's been touring with Corey Wong.
2: The Wong. The Wong Notes. The Wong Notes. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) But Kenny is just an absolute beast, but also the nicest guy you've ever met. He's just such a sweetheart and also hardworking. He's still this day, I think he's in his upper sixties and he's still practicing any minute he can. He just wants to play. Right. I feel like he's more natural like playing than actual just walking. Anyways, to see that energy, just to hear that and feel that in seventh grade, you know. And I still listen to him this day when I need to get some inspiration or something. You know, and just his facility, his technique is. Beyond the majority of the people on this planet. But then again, his personality comes through. You know, that's, I think, the coolest thing. Through his music. Yeah, through his music. And performances. And through his performances. Right. So seeing him at the seventh grade in a group called Hornheads. Which was a prince's old horn section that they formed during the tour and kept together after the tour. Right. Yeah. They yeah, kind yeah. of
2: formed that band because Prince pulled them onto it. Right. Exactly. You yeah.
0: Know? Um, and so that's a pretty cool story in all of itself. Too. Right.
2: Right. Right. And that's a legendary Prince. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No one beats the Prince. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I've gotten to know a little bit more about Prince through him and then through a sound engineer named Scott Baldwin. Okay. Uh, Scotty. What I'm touring with Ame before in Taipei, Taipei Arena. Our sound engineer was also Prince's sound engineer.
2: Ame's sound engineer was Prince's sound engineer. Exactly. En- wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. He's worked for everyone, he's the top guy.
2: And Ame is the top queen.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he's one of those guys that if you're doing a 10,000, 20,000 seat arena, that's the guy you want there. Right. You know.
2: Get those sounds right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. His stories of Prince are incredible. And then the fact that, you know, I say, well, you know, I know Kenny. I know all these guys, too. He started bringing out all these other stories, too, that he always, oh, hey, you should listen to this recording. I recorded this back in 1998. With Ooh. You know, he's just a, a book. Yeah. Of, Encyclopedia. Oh, and this, exactly. And he has all his recordings of all this stuff that he recorded he kept everything
2: oh that's amazing yeah yeah it's pretty cool so. that's very cool
0: well anyways just you know to kind of feel that at a young age this energy from these kinds of people i mean scotty later on but you know kenny just they all have that same thing
2: right yeah and in some way when you're kind of influenced by those greats at such a young age you kind of have that burden to continue it
0: <laughs> well yeah exactly you know i mean it's funny um that just reminds me of that a lot of times musicians don't teach and i find that actually it's super important that Musicians don't teach. Musicians are not exactly the best teachers. Mm. And it does go the other way around. Teachers aren't exactly the best musicians. Right, right, right. You know? But I always find musicians actually kind of have the, you know, we are just saying you have to pass on the music. Right. You know, it's The cool thing about jazz music. It's, a, it's originally an oral tradition and it's passed on, you know, and that's something that has to keep going on every single day.
2: You teach through example.
0: Teach through example. I mean, most of the time how I learned wasn't by someone saying how to do something. It was being on the bandstand next to them. And and just feeling it and hearing them and go, oh, that wasn't it one more time. And you go, okay, it was probably me. I did something wrong. Okay. What did I do? What? And just try to remember what the guy next to me, just listening to them and go, okay, I need to be exactly like this because they were around when this tune was written. Right. Those kinds of things. So,
2: right, right, right. You were mentioning last time that you have those experiences with working in big bands.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been very fortunate that I kind of got to catch the end of, I almost want to say big band era. Um, You're that old. This guy is from the (laughs) 1940s.
2: (laughs) Well, <laughs> right before Bebop. Yeah, right before this Bebop. Man. <laughs> no, well,
0: well, I mean, like a lot of the big bands are still touring. Obviously, like Benny Goodman has passed away. Harry James has passed away. Tommy Dorsey, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But their bands are still around and their family take care of their bands. And they usually appoint someone to run the band who worked with the original. So, for instance, Harry James, they appoint Fred Radke to run it. Fred was Harry James' kind of protege. Mm. He taught everything and Fred was his last lead player in the big band. Oh, and I so see. he's carried on and, and Fred also is now and he's probably in his 80s now and he's still one of the few guys in this planet that can play just like Harry is because Harry taught him everything so being on a bus with him and hearing all the stories of touring with him but also mainly all the stories between all the other guys in the band that no one knows of Right, you hear of Benny Goodman but you don't know oh there's this person that was a drummer this person done etc etc cetera, et cetera, et exactly et just um, know the front man exactly and then you hear the stories of them on the road but also like a lot of times we get to read a lot of the original music okay so it's the same music that they read back 50 100 years ago oh that's amazing yeah it's, it's really cool And if they exact it's a copy of it someone had handwritten it from, oh very cool yeah yeah yeah. Like, papyrus and yeah yeah yes yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> The <laughs> big stone tablets exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> the um, originals Yeah. So it's cool that to see like, okay, I read this, but what I'm reading and what they're playing is completely different. Exactly. And there's, there's a reason for it too. So I'm on a tour bus with these guys. And so I can ask them, I said, why the end of threes are this way? And most of the times, like the usual answer is I have no idea, but this person who knows what he's doing always does it. So I did that. You know, these were the usual answers for that.
2: But that's a great part of music, right? It's that feeling. It's, it's You just don't a have lot to of necessarily feeling. explain it, as you're saying with that kind of teaching idea, right? You don't necessarily have to break it down and deconstruct everything.
0: Well, exactly. Again, that's the reason why a lot of musicians are bad teachers, because they can't explain it. Right, right. You right. know, and there are some that definitely can. I, myself, I've, I've taken the time to learn how to teach, mm. you know, and then I find when I teach, it's very different than college teachers or people who just teach from a book. Right. You know, because that's kind of the, the main way people teach now. They just, they read a book, they hear the examples, And then you're supposed to just um, copy it,
2: copy it, repeat.
0: Yeah, and repeat. You know, that's the kind of the biggest difference between teachers and performers. The performers feel it. They may not understand what they're doing, but they feel it and they feel it multiple times, you know, not just once every three months during a, a senior recital, a recital of some sort, you know, I'm not, I'm not downgrading. There are teachers that are also super important because they can do things that musicians can't do. They can tell a student, how do you blow into this instrument? And it makes a sound, you know, how do you have this articulation? What is your body doing? Mm-hmm. Can I explain those things that musician can't.
2: Okay, so speaking yeah. of that, did you end up going to college and studying music?
0: Yeah, actually I have a classical degree. Okay. Well, technically I went in for music education and after a semester that I said, nope. Exactly, um, and maybe- now you're
2: talking about how you don't,
0: well no actually the main thing that turned me off was the program that they don't want you to be a musician they want you to be a teacher because I you know from all the upperclassmen seeing people who really dove into it weren't able to play their instruments my first thought was well they can't play their instruments how can they teach you know at least that was my thought back then. that's a simple logic right Yeah. yeah yeah and so that turned me off to that right away you know, so then I actually switched the composition for a couple of years. Oh, interesting. Um, and then actually, I took a year of school off. I went and worked out on cruise ships. Oh, so that okay. Was, that was kind of the beginning of my cruise ships. A, I was I ran out of money. Okay, yeah, it's the <laughs> um, money issue again. Yep, but B, I'm super fortunate because it was an opportunity to play every single day. Yeah. Every day you have a show, every day you need to be at 100%. Also playing jazz, improvising, there's guys you're playing next to who have been playing on that gig for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't sound any different than them, you know. It's
2: a specific environment, industry, a niche. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's where, I mean, I guess Wisconsin is a place to learn to drink, but cruise ships is also another place to learn to to drink. (laughs) 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 I mean, with some of the, the, the old Russian guys, some of the old Germans, you know, I think they drink more alcohol than water.
2: Exactly. You that know, is their water. Fungi
0: guys, fun guys. <laughs> right.
2: So people who have an understanding of geography, Wisconsin is landlocked in terms of facing the ocean. So how did you end up going on these cruise ships?
0: mainly I looked at what my upperclassmen were doing. A couple of those guys were doing things that I wanted to do. You know, I knew of the Broadway tours already, but before that I knew about cruise ships. I saw that some of the guys that I was in the saxophone section with in the jazz band were during the summer. They went and worked on a cruise ship for the summer or they did one of the summers I worked at Disney. Mm. Um, and that was an opportunity.
2: So you went out to California.
0: Actually, I did the one in Florida. Okay. Disney world. Yeah. yeah. I did the one in Florida. They had revived it. This was 2004. They revived the Disney band in, in oh, Florida for okay. a couple of years. yeah, Like
2: the parade?
0: Not that one, but actually the for college students. And so there, you're part of the special collegiate program and you got to do both big band sets, but also, yeah, do marching band sets, do Dixieland sets, a lot of guests. So for instance, the guy who's running the Army Blues Band right now, which is fantastic, big band, you know, mm-hmm. some of the best in the world, was our guest artist. they spend a week with these guys. Dave Steinmeier, who ran the Glenn Miller Orchestra after Glenn Miller, you'll get to spend a week with some cool guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the happy place. On yeah. Our, the hobbyist place on earth. And what else can you oh. ask for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a cool experience. But the year after that, I wanted to do something different. And I saw that someone was working on ships. And so I said, how'd you do that? And so he gave me some numbers and some emails and I just kept bugging these people. I just turned 20, 21, and that's pretty young age to be going out on cruise ships. But I just kept pushing it, did the auditions. They saw, eh, yeah, you should be fine. You so did I mean? you
2: go back down to Florida? Because Florida is famous yep. for their cruise ships.
0: Exactly. I was basically, I I was in the Caribbean quite a bit. Right. So going down to Mexico, going down to Belize, going down to all those islands, you know, which is not a bad thing to do when you're in your early 20s. Exactly. And they pay for your flight there, you know, and uh, you're on the ship. Sometimes you're with not the best people. Sometimes you're with amazing people. For sure. you kind of learn from all experiences, for sure. Yeah.
2: What are some of your memories from the cruise ship days? Oh, that you can talk about here?
0: Well, yeah, you know, actually I met some of my, and who I still keep in contact with, some great friends and cruise ships. Most of them are not from the US. Also, that's kind of the coolest thing. I started meeting other musicians from other countries around the world, especially countries either I've never heard of or would have never expected could produce such an amazing musician. And get to hear them, get to hear about their growing up, get to hear those stories. I mean, there's so many stories you would never hear of. Making friends from Peru, making friends from, actually I did meet a couple people from here in Thailand. Taiwan, Philippines, a lot of Filipinos on cruise ships. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and so... Filipinos
2: can sing. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, right. in, it's incredible, actually. <laughs> exactly. It's,
0: it's, it's quite There's something in the water there. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's
2: not the Russian vodka either. It
0: is not. <laughs> something else. Something magical. <laughs> oh, and that's a whole other story there, too. Right. Yeah, but cruise ships, just meeting people and constantly playing. And then as musicians, we're quite fortunate because we maybe might have rehearsal during the day, but most of the time, the daytimes are free. So when we were in port, we could could get off okay you know and so like when i was in alaska a lot of times we'd get to the port at 6 a.m 5 a.m in the morning and leave at 5 p.m or something and so we would go you know get a group of friends and we go hiking and then, you know, hiking in Alaska is some of the most beautiful scenery.
2: Alaska is one of the most beautiful places on the planet, bar yeah, none. Exactly, and For so sure.
0: having the opportunity in the summers to go hiking in Alaska was something I'll never forget. What port was you it? Uh, Juno? Uh, okay. Yeah, I've been in Juno, been to Skagway. But Skagway was always amazing. I was much bigger back then. In pounds, I lost about hundred pounds since then. Okay. Um, about, was that 40 kilos? Something like right. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So hiking for me wasn't the easiest thing. Most of the time i try to do what I call the ox form. So just really slowly, you know, usually panting the whole time saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll catch up soon. You the know? ox form. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or you just go up slowly. You just hug Like a moose. Yeah, exactly. Like an Alaskan moose. <laughs> <laughs> Did oh. you see a moose? Yeah, we saw a lot of animals out there that you usually wouldn't see. Brown bears. I've seen bears up there. Actually, the scariest one I've seen up there was a mongoose. Oh. Yeah. You know. They're uh, not so big, but no, they're, they're not, no, but they're, they're, they're terrifying. Yes, exactly. And luckily it was from a distance, but I remember just kind of, you know, I had a pair of binoculars with me. I saw something over there and I'm like, and you're like,
2: okay, turn around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, once I identified it and I, I wasn't hundred percent sure, but you know, I was with my friend and we're like pretty sure that's, I'm sure enough. Yeah. I'm sure enough to turn around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then later on, you know, we, I didn't have exactly iPhone 15. Well, right. I don't have it right now, but you know, <laughs> we took a picture of it and it went back and like, yeah, okay, that's what it. That's what it was. It was what it was. You know, okay. it's just terrifying. Animal. Alaska's um, a wild place. It is, but again, absolutely amazing. And, For sure. Um, but one of the stories that I remember is that one particular day we were going to do the hardest hike we were ever going to do. We left right away at 5 a.m. because we had to. and It took us six hours to get up. And it was above the tree line. And I think it, to this date it's still the, the highest I've ever hiked. But I remember it was, it was so quiet up there at the top that you can hear your heartbeat. Oh, it was just amazing. Nice. You know, it was just an amazing feeling. And then I went all the way down and the guys went back to the ship to take a rest. And I just wanted to have a coffee at a coffee shop in downtown Skagway. And downtown Skagway is not downtown Skagway. They built it for tourists. Okay. Yeah, so it's all fake. You know, it's not- I see, you it's know, like Disney World. Yeah, it's kind of, of Disney a, World, but it's meant to look like, you know, the Gold Rush or something Exactly, like that. rustic. But I remember sitting in a cafe and kind of across from me, there was a, an old woman in a wheelchair with her helper. And uh, I remember them talking and basically the grandma was just so happy to be there. And I was kind of overhearing this conversation. It wasn't a lot of people in here. I usually don't listen to other people's conversations, right. but for <laughs> some what reason you're I was. Yeah, right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: don't sit next to Jim. Gettis. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I was just trying to zone out, but it was mainly just her kind of telling her helper like she's just so happy she finally made it here after you know oh. after so many years. Apparently, she has quite a bit of money and everything and has kids. And she's like, I finally made it to Alaska. She's like, I'm here, you know. And and, and part of me, I was congratulating her kind of in my mind. But at the same time, I also go, this isn't Alaska. Oh, that's funny. Where where I was, was Alaska, you know, where you could see the glaciers. You can see all and you know, and she's in this place that was built for tours. That's interesting. You know, and she was on a ship, so she didn't actually get to stay overnight there. But it's accessible because she's in a wheelchair. She can't walk.
2: Right. You know, and probably Hopefully she doesn't hear this, so we crush her dreams. Yeah, I well, this and... is many
0: years ago. So if she's still around, oh, she deserves to hear the story. Exactly. She really, <laughs> she really inspired True. me. But that was really my inspiration. Going, okay, I can't. You know, I can't just be going after money, mm. you know, I gotta, I mean, I have to have enough where I can pay my bills, have a, a decent, you know, healthy lifestyle, but I can't make that my end goal, huh. you know? because experiences Yeah, exactly. I feel like my experience is going to be way more valuable than this person who worked her herself to the bones and then couldn't do anything after she did have all this money. I she see. Couldn't, she couldn't use it. And the people who she raised and everything wasn't by her side. I've just seen the situation, you know, from my head, but right. I, I saw that. I went, okay, so I'm trying to live a little bit more.
2: Try to see the real things as much as I can.
0: Exactly, exactly. And so after that, I made me sure that every time I was on a cruise ship, it would go somewhere new or go to Europe or go to, well, here Asia.
2: Right, yeah. right, right, right. So this was the cruise ship days, mm. but meanwhile, you were also doing musicals.
0: Yeah. Actually I remember my last cruise ship, I had gotten an email. I was in Japan. I had gotten an email saying that they've been trying to get a hold of me for this tour. Again, for just like ships, I was looking where all my upperclassmen were going, what work they were doing. I knew that one guy was doing these Broadway tours. And so I'd been sending all my information out, whatever I can find online, emails, contacts, just kind of cold emailing. Right. Exactly. Just throwing my stuff out there and see what it would pick up. And luckily my upperclassmen Decided that he wasn't going to do a tour. Uh, This was uh, Avenue Q.
2: Oh, okay.
0: And uh, I said, well, yeah, give me your email. I'd love to send you my stuff. You know, I'd love to do the tour. So when I was in Japan, they finally got an email going, hey, we've been trying to call your phone. Uh, What are
2: you at sea or something?
0: Well, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I got the email and said, hey, we want to do this. And right at the same time, I was actually in line to become a music director for the cruise ships. Huh, okay, um, so by next ship I was supposed to be a music director for it and kind of you know getting way better paycheck, a lot more responsibility. but the noticeable difference between the tour and the and the musical director was well, the paycheck. Ship is okay. you know, you right. don't have any expenses, you don't have rent and everything so it makes sense. It wasn't the most amazing, you know, but it was also a, another chance okay you know, to do something different and I knew I didn't want to stay on ships. you know ships was kind of a middle point.
2: It's a means to an end. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And a way to pay the bills when you were needing that money as yeah, a exactly, exactly. college student, right?
0: Yeah, and so I had the opportunity to go on there. And so I, I went to the cruise company and said, well, hey, if you can match this, I'll stay here since you know you had offered me this first. Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> right, and you knew it wouldn't, so <laughs> Yeah, and I knew it wouldn't. So, um, yeah, so that's how I kind of got my first tour. The funny part, it started off in Tokyo.
2: Okay, so this musical career of yours starts in Tokyo. mm with Avenue Q, which yep. is an amazing musical. Yeah. It's actually one of my favorites.
0: Well, it's funny because a lot of people here don't know it. I know. Um, and they, It's not a famous one, but it's so good. Yeah. In the US, I think it's more famous. They originally started in Vegas, actually, which makes sense because it is an R-rated musical. It is. Yeah. It touches upon themes. They have many themes that are usually not very children-friendly. Exactly. <laughs> not even adult-friendly nowadays. Uh, oh, yeah. With the culture wars. Oh, I actually haven't even thought about that right? yet. Yeah. Because um, it really
2: touches upon these kind of... Uh, it does. Quote, unquote, controversial themes.
0: You know, and that's the thing about music and musicals. They always try to push these themes way before it becomes a thing. Exactly. And so they were, you know, Avenue Q is about this show in on Avenue Q in New York. And it's a very cultural area. And so there are a lot of themes upon that about young kids growing up. And it's all in Muppet form.
2: I know. It's like an adult Sesame Street. Exactly. With it, Muppets, with puppets.
0: Exactly. And I, I still remember one of my biggest supporters is, is my grandma, my dad's mom. And uh, when we were coming through Wisconsin with the show, I said, like, hey, grandma, yeah, there's lots of other shows. This, this one could probably sit out and you'll be right. fine. And she forced her way. You know, she's said, I'm going to come and see the show. After the show, I, I still remember. I said, so, hey, grandma, what do you think? She's like, well, the lights were nice. The lights. <laughs>
2: What a sweet grandma. And that's she, like the perfect.
0: Yeah. She's one of the, yeah, I, I love her dearly. And, and yeah, I just, that's why I knew I just kind of laughed. I'm like, okay. And my aunt looked at me. She's like, yep. That's hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. It has one of the most memorable songs for me. It was the, everybody's just a little bit racist. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's the exact title, but the lyrics it, go something pretty close, like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm
0: pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So funny. Yeah. I, I remember just laughing so hard watching that. That skit is just so good.
0: It's hilarious. And you know, and go back, we started in Tokyo. So they had uh, these two big translator boards on the side and they had to translate all that into Japanese. Right. That's
2: We were talking about that the other day. The difficulty of translating, right? Mm. Whether you translate something directly or you have to kind of figure out the nuance of that culture.
0: Well, exactly. How do you explain this? Or what do you do is you make something that is relevant to that culture.
2: Right, exactly. Because racism in the States is a little bit different from the racism in Asia.
0: Well, it, it is there and <laughs> you know, and, it's there. and I don't mind telling the story. I remember we were with, I won't say any names, but in the actual show, we have two people who are Asian because uh, there's an Asian character in the show. So one of the girls, she's actually half Korean, half European. And so she was the main role and her understudy was actually Japanese descent. And so the main character, She didn't speak any language, Uh, to my knowledge, she probably did. Um, But the understudy, she spoke fluent Japanese. She grew up with that. And so she started explaining like, okay, she's actually given them a little bit of a Korean Japanese accent in the writing to make it kind of funnier. But also I remember we were with some of her friends in Japan and we were hanging out. They saw the show and her friend's like, she's not Japanese, is she? You know, and she's like, oh, she's half Korean. They go, oh, that's why we could smell her from the audience. I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, (laughs) oh, no and i just went okay oh wow <laughs> yep, yep and that's when i started realizing actually it's way worse over here you know especially between korean and japan you yes know? exactly um, and it's it was deep just, history exactly <laughs> i'm pretty sure the character is japanese in right. having a cue and so i have someone who's half korean half european playing that just yeah you know, it's perfect exactly <laughs> um yeah but that, that was fun you know and just seeing the reactions in the more conservative parts of the u.s going to montana Oh, that's you know, interesting. Uh, where was it? What was it called? There's a city in Montana. I can't remember it.
2: Billings.
0: Well, a Bill- uh, small city. No. Oh, small okay. city. But have a big theater history, actually. They have a huge mining operation. And so that theater has been there forever, but super conservative area. And I remember the theater was so tiny that the band actually was, the person in the front row was actually sitting probably the same level as the band. We okay. weren't down in the pit because they didn't have a pit there. And so we could hear everything they were saying. I see. And during this show, hearing some of the very conservative people, just like, what? you know, just seeing them shocked and totally offended and everything. And just us trying to keep a straight face and try to play the show is just oh, absolutely wow. the most hilarious, but probably difficult thing I've done in a while. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it's funny. The first half of the show was super quiet. And then after the intermission, the audience completely turned around. It's because all those people who were offended had left. Okay. And so the there people who really did want to enjoy the show. Now they could party. Yeah. Enjoy it, it the was show. Totally, it had a complete turnaround. It was pretty cool.
2: Oh, that's funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, I had the kind of the ability to be to every inch, you know, of, of the U S and get to see everything, get to see, you know, everyone's more the same, but also very different. You know, landscape is very different. I've been to places I've never ever thought that you know I would have a chance to go to. I mean,
2: 48 out of 50 States. Yeah. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. And it's one of those that says Hawaii. I haven't been to Hawaii out there. You know, if someone I wants know. to bring How me to Hawaii, you? I'll, I'll be more happy. How dare you. <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> and then what is the other one?
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Delaware. Delaware. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. That one's excusable. Yeah. No, sorry. Sorry, Delawareans (laughs) out there. We joke, of
0: course. Um, But yeah. (laughs) All you you,
2: corporations out there in Delaware. Yeah. We joke.
0: (laughs) No, um, But, you know, and seeing stuff and, you know, spending time in Dallas and Austin and Mm. uh, throughout like Wyoming and Montana, Oregon, just all these different places. It was pretty cool.
2: I guess it's such a difficult question, but what was the most memorable city or performance across these 48 states of the U.S.?
0: Hmm. i have to think about that for a second.
2: He is digging deep. Yeah,
0: I'm digging deep because this He's is a while ago deep. now. <laughs> well, actually, you know, playing the Pantages Theater in LA is pretty cool. Okay, nice. Uh, you know, that's a pretty historical, pretty. any of the, Hollywood. Yeah, any of the, the Ordways or the Pantages, like these were the old circuit theaters back in the day. So they'd be able to play in them. Um, the Fox in Atlanta and uh, in St. Louis. Okay. The Fox in St. Louis is really historical. It's like 3,000 seat theater. Pretty cool. Wow. A lot of these places are super historical, which is cool because there's been just thousands of shows through there. And just to see in the back, you know, uh, behind the backstage and everything, there's all the people signed their names and what shows they've been in. And you start seeing all these old names, especially these historical places from the 1950s. Mm. You know, when we're in the Pantages, a lot of people would like to come and meet us. So that's where... Um, why can't I think of her name right now? Uh, The Sound of Music. Julie Andrews? Yes, Julie Andrews. Yes. Julie Andrews came backstage afterwards because she came to see the show. Oh. And so it was pretty cool to to meet her. Just very, very humble person and...
2: She came as a fan.
0: Yeah, she came as a fan. That's so, cool. And especially the Pantages, a lot of people, a lot of these celebrities, they actually, you know, they have a way to work it where they actually come in the back of the theater. They never actually come through the front. Right, 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 you know, right. Because of paparazzi or, you know, those, I, I want to know I'm not. Exactly. <laughs> just like, just yeah. like Jim Gettys. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 the off, complete farthest thing from Jim Gettys is what this is. But basically, I mean, everyone in the U.S. really, really enjoys musical theater. It's in the history. I think a lot of the shows are meant to touch parts of life that are usually not spoken upon or different types of themes. I mean, come to modern day here in Taiwan, it's they're trying. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't really ever brought here. You know, when I was doing tours with the Adam's family or whatever musical here in Asia, we never came to Taiwan. You know, and right now it's very rare when a, besides Phantom of the Opera, yes. Phantom, the huge ticket selling shows. You exactly. Know, um, usually they, they stay clear of Taiwan.
2: It's too small of a market right now.
0: Yeah. That or usually it's an investor issue because most of the time when a show comes over to Asia from the U.S., okay, the Singapore venue is going to help with the flights. Okay, this venue is going to help with bringing the props over. This venue is going to help with hotels. This venue, they all work together. And I think Taiwan keeps themselves separated. Right. Um, I know there's also copyright issues. And this yes, is and we'll get to that as yeah, well. Yeah, so we'll get to that later. Uh, and I don't all wanna, of these themes. Pretty yeah, much. I don't <laughs> want to talk about politically between China and Taiwan. But I know that there is one country that tends to buy up a lot of copyright. Another country cannot use them.
2: Another country.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> This okay, is how okay. difficult this conversation <laughs> exactly, is. Exactly, exactly.
2: But we're just speaking hypothetically anyway. You know? Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, any, anyway, so I know that's also another reason why shows cannot come here. Right. Um, because you can only use a certain copyright a certain amount of times. And copyrights divide between Asia, South America, North America, Europe, and so you have to buy a copyright to each one and you can only do it there so many times. Et cetera, et cetera. I see. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It might not be your production of it either. It could be uh rent. There could be five different productions of rent. And if they're doing it in Shanghai, you know, and then Japan can only do it once.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: These type of things are, I'm not the expert on this either. And it could have changed since I've been on tour too, which okay. usually is quite possible. Things change over here quite fast. Yeah. 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 Okay, so
2: you mentioned Avenue Q. You just briefly mentioned The Addams Family. What Mm -hmm. other musicals did you work on?
0: Well, I did a Christmas one called Elf. Yes. E L F, not A L F Right. Yeah, there's yeah.
2: there's a monster yeah, named Elf. Yeah.
0: <laughs> in the US before Elf was famous. You know, I'm saying so, I'm doing this musical called Elf. And they're like, Elf, oh, I loved him. The nineteen eighties TV shows. nope, like, no, 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 no.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: which was fun. It's usually three months of the year. And usually Christmas, you get a lot of kids coming seeing the show. Based on a film. Exactly. So that was a lot of fun. How the Grinch Stole Christmas was another Christmas one I did. That was the shorter show. So a lot of times we had the opportunity to play three of them in a day.
2: Oh, okay. And so
0: oh, the other thing too, I'd like to mention is usually when in tour, we usually play eight shows a week. Eight shows a exactly. week. Exactly. So usually the typical schedule is Tuesday and then a double Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, double Saturday, Sunday, or something similar to that. Cause usually on Wednesday, actually here in Taiwan also, the school children get out. Yeah. They have a matinee. Yeah. Yeah. So they have a matinee for the school children.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So especially the orchestra, you guys have to play every single time.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, since Grinch was such a shorter show, we had three of those a day. Yeah. And wow. so we we did 12 a week.
2: No way. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That's crazy. I remember we would have like an 11 o'clock show, a four o'clock show, and a seven o'clock show. And so uh, that was always fun.
2: <laughs> How is being on the road?
0: Uh, it's great, fun, awful, terrible. Everything. <laughs> It depends, you know, who you're with. Uh, luckily, for the last couple of years, working for Broadway tours, I managed to get the role of contractor. And so I was the one who hired musicians, you know, to be part of these shows. Okay. Um, and I did that for a few years. And playing the show is only about 10%. It's super um, important 10%, right? but also being just a human being on the road to be able to, because you're, you're with these people 24 seven, you're in a bus together, sometimes a two hour bus ride, sometimes there's an eight to 10 hour bus ride if you're stuck in traffic. And if you're stuck in traffic and you have to get to the show, get in right away, it's rushed, a lot of pressure. If you're flying together in airports, sleeping, you know, two to a room and you're traveling with sometimes 50 up to a hundred people. Oh my goodness. Um, and not all personalities work. Exactly. Um, But the people, you know, who can get along, you know, after the show, want to have a drink or go exercising or something. It's always very, very happy when those people are there. You know, when the people who were difficult and had egos and that was not usually not too much fun.
2: What is the craziest thing you've seen on the road? (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't have to dig deep. He's just wondering no, no, no. how much he can say here.
0: No, when people they ask me about, I think, uh, Cincinnati. When they ask you, oh, hey, how was Cincinnati? Or, you know, you've been to Cincinnati. Yes, I remember. That's why I saw someone burned alive. Whoa. Because like, the it, people don't know about here in town was the actual crime in the U.S. You right. know, it's ridiculous. People here, they go, oh, you should lock your windows. I'm like, no one ain't going <laughs> to steal stuff here but I remember in Cincinnati from the hotel I was walking to the theater and I'm just walking and I look down an alley and I see there's a bunch of unfortunate Cincinnati is a huge homeless population right? and they're fighting and I just kind of stopped there watching this because I'm just processing this. You Are you know? sure
2: it wasn't West Side Story?
0: I, no it wasn't. <laughs> I think they were just all the I, sharks. Yeah the- I think it was just the <laughs> sharks against the sharks. I don't, I don't know <laughs> um, but yeah they were having this huge fight and they were using these big oil barrels for fire and they threw one at this guy and and, no and he, he caught on fire and I'm just and I just I gotta go. I, <laughs> you saw this. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and, insane. You know, just and that that just, you know, kind of really burned it was, to use that word burned into my mind. There you uh, go. yeah, yeah, you yeah. got the puns. Yeah, there we go. You're gonna do the intro um, next time. <laughs> um yeah, just that Wow. I remember that and going, okay, this is this is America in my mind too, is this problem of people fighting in what year was this? Uh it would have probably been around twenty twelve to twenty fourteen ish. Okay. Somewhere in the middle of my, my touring era.
2: It reminds me of Grand Theft Auto actually. Ah, I don't know if you've yeah, played that video yes, game.
0: Yes, I that I have played that back in the day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that that is quite real in the US is this problem.
2: That's interesting because you basically mention not something from like, you know, on the road with the musical group, but it's actually just witnessing through the window America.
0: Yeah. I mean as I said, I've been almost every inch of the US and seeing America for what it really is is really, really eye opening and probably the partial the reason why I left. Oh you know, just to see that there are great places like Minneapolis was. Um, and that's and like it Austin. For you. you know, Austin <laughs> and Seattle these great artistic life loving places. And then you go out just a little bit and then you start seeing these billboards that are very clearly being paid by some interest groups and, and of things that shouldn't matter, Mm. you know, and you're just like, wow. Okay. You know, everyone talks about like, oh, the South being, you know, a cruel place, but actually like, well, that's the North has a lot of that too. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and where people just, it's very clear they don't care about their community, don't care about their, their neighbor. They just really care about themselves. Seeing that all over the place was quite evident.
2: So before moving to this transition out of this Godforsaken country of the United States. <laughs> uh, what
0: I, yeah, I, I do love the country too. There are a lot of great things. I'm just saying that that is one thing that kind of really stained on me. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. So a lighter note before we get to that. Your favorite musical. What is the greatest musical for you for whatever reason?
0: Well, the easiest one is when I got to do In the Heights. Oh, I saw yeah.
2: that's one of my favorite musicals.
0: In the Heights for people who don't know was if you go to New York, everyone knows Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. Lynn Miranda. Lin uh, Lynn Miranda and those guys. Their first show was called In the Heights. Exactly. Uh, the one that was the biggest one that hit Broadway before the Hamilton. And it's an incredible show, all based on Latin culture.
2: Up in the Washington Heights, very yep. Dominican neighborhood. I lived up there, so that oh, really? That, yeah, that yep. really hit hard to me. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. It, the music is incredible. I know. To have a whole musical based off a of clave is cool. Yeah. It's just so, especially being a Latin lover like myself, love Latin music. They play all this stuff and you still hear the clave and all this. A uh, clave for people don't know is a Latin rhythmic, basically the DNA of Latin music is called clave. Right. And, uh,
2: and you can really see the genius of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the lyricist. Yeah. Basically just like rapping over Latin music.
0: Between him and Alex Lacamore. Lac actually is his partner for writing all this stuff. And he's a fantastic piano player. We got to work with them. Or when mm. we took the tour out and and especially Lacamore, I got to ask him some questions. You know, it's like one of the questions I got to ask him, I said, Okay, so you have this, you have, you won this award, you won this award. You know, people must be just coming after you for work. And he's like, Yeah, no. Huh. You know, he's like, I said, Do you feel like you're still trying to find your work? You know, I said, Because mm. in, in the end of the day, we're all freelance. And he said, Well, I'm lucky because I'm around a group of people that were creating things. And I go, Okay, so you just go up to him. Hey, let's talk about this. He's like, no. A lot of times we're just hanging out, we're talking about projects. And he said, hey, you know it'd be really cool. You should have to some kind of music for this. Um, um, you know, what if you did this kind of groove instead? How about this kind of beat instead? And that's how. And then they just started creating these relationships that way. And he said most of his work work from relationships that he created with people who he clicked.
2: Yeah, that's one of the musicals that I watch multiple times.
0: Yeah, that was probably the only musical I do love a lot of other ones. But after a year that I did not hate, you know, that I could still every single day to this day if I could, you know, play it. And it's funny because I can tell how much that musical has influenced all modern musicals. I can hear some of the the way the music was written that if I watch another musical or actually even pop music. There's a lot of pop music that I listen to now. I'm going, oh, that's originally from in the Heights.
2: Yeah, it was seriously a genre bender at yeah. that time. <laughs> it came out of nowhere and just like, bam, it was so fresh and it was amazing.
0: Yeah, it was cool to be able to play that show every night, you know. Oh,
2: wow. Um, in it, New York City.
0: Well, that was the tour. And so I got the tour of that. And so then we did that show everywhere. Except for Delaware. Except for Delaware, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Delaware. I have nothing against Delaware. <laughs> Cause I don't know anything about Delaware. So right. Anyways. Exactly. <laughs> Adam's family was fun. Okay. I yeah, saw Adam's that. Adam's family for the tour. They re reread it from Broadway because they realized that on Broadway it was about uh Brooke Cage. What's his name? Nathan Lane? Nathan Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah. Uh, it was more centered around Nathan Lane. Yeah. And exactly. they realized that actually might have been one of the failures of the show on Broadway. And so what they did is uh, what a good director does is make it about the young girl. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, about Adam. Uh, about Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday. You know, which yeah. Now this is just a huge. Exactly. You know, TV show about her. Um, yep. It's all so, Wednesday now. Yes, it is. But yeah, and so the musical was, that it was pretty fun. And that was one of the main tours I did over here in Asia. We went to Singapore for a while, we went to Hong Kong, we went to Macau, went to Guangzhou and some places in China. That was kind of my really first longer stay here in Asia was with that tour. With Adam's family? Yeah, with Adam's family.
2: So is that kind of the reason also during this time why you decided to stay in Asia? Well,
0: it was a both a combination that I wanted to leave the US and I, I feel like Europe was too similar to the US. Obviously very different, very different. Mm. But very similar. I right. wanted to go somewhere. Maybe the, here's that theme again from as a kid. I wanted to just go to somewhere different. Okay, Go to a place that no one, that I don't want to know anyone there. Or I mean like people who I know that are, are local. And so I, I knew it was Asia. And so I, I spent some time in Tokyo, some time in Shanghai, Hong Kong and Taipei. And I felt like every time I came here in Taipei, it was more relaxed, kind of catch your breath. But I think the main thing was that if I wanted to leave Taipei, and go somewhere else in the country. It's super easy. Yeah. super that's what convenient my last
2: guess said. it's a perfect place from which to kind of take off and go other places, tour around Asia as well.
0: Yeah, I mean if I before the pandemic a lot of times I would go, "Oh, I've got 5 days off coming up. What is the cheapest flight to where?" Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um and so I was taking flights to places I've never heard of before. You know, I remember one time I think I bought a Daegu in, oh. in, in South Korea I bought a return flight For about 75 US bucks You know that's the thing I loved about it. Taiwan was just so close It was so easy And luckily I'm not sure If the American passport's any good anymore But you know mm. Back then it didn't matter You didn't have to have any visas and I was doing a lot of trips To Thailand, Hong Kong And a lot of these people I did know there From when I was working On cruise ships And so I did have Some relations there Where I could meet people Know some local people And go okay Where do I go Where do I stay The most important thing too I guess the other thing Is what to eat you know, yes, that's very uh, important. This is the one thing I will say I do miss about the U.S. is some of the eateries there.
2: Oh, OK. Yeah, what yeah. do you miss about uh, the U.S.? I Say I, something I, nice, sir, about your home country.
0: <laughs> I miss the fusion. Oh, OK. The fusion so food. it's not
2: even the real American stuff. You yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the American stuff mixed. It's the new American stuff. OK. Uh, I that's mean, true. yeah, of course, That's also very American. You know, buying a, a $15 hamburger, I do miss that. You know, it's mm, filled with cheese and exactly. bacon. and what all this stuff. But even going to the big difference between Tokyo and New York ramen. Ooh. If you go to ramen in Tokyo, it has to be the ramen and if it doesn't taste like what it should taste like. It's not ramen. But then I remember in New York, I went to maybe it was Ivan ramen. I oh, think. Uh, I remember.
2: know in the lower East side. Yeah. 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 And, I and, know, and yeah. they had a
0: special that day. Cause one of my friends, you have to go here. And I said, okay, I went there and they had a special. I said, what's the special? I said, it's coffee, chocolate based ramen. Oh, that's funny. And it's black, you know? And I was like, wow you had it it was amazing (laughs) absolutely like one of my favorite dishes that i'll never forget if i would go to japan and said i had chocolate and coffee ramen they would just they would have a heart attack you know (laughs) exactly But then you go to Japan and you have ramen, it's pretty good there too. Right, 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 right. But the US, the fusion food, I lived in LA for a couple of years and just some of the Latin cuisine. Exactly. um, You know, if you start going to East LA, East LA is a huge melting pot of all these different Latin cultures. Yeah, you have uh, Mexican culture, but a lot of- uh, Salvadorian. Salvadorian, Peruvian, uh, Bolivian. Pupusas. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was amazing, you know. Um, And if you go up into Seattle, start having more Asian, you know, that's one thing I do miss about the U.S. is eating. I've heard recently all the food prices have tripled. And so I'm not sure if I can do that anymore. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's the one thing I do love about here is that I've actually realized I've actually kind of quit cooking, which used to be one of my great joys. I mean, I I still do it maybe once every three months. But here I can just go outside and there's an old you know, ama yes. making some dish that she's made for 50 years and they only have that dish and a couple of other things. And it's, it's incredible and cheap. Very cheap, exactly. Very cheap. And I'm like, well, I could probably try and make the same thing, but it'd be way more expensive and nowhere near the quality.
2: Yeah, we were in Chiang Mai recently hmm. and we went on a food tour. And our guide, a local Thai woman, said none of the apartments in Chiang Mai come with a, a kitchen, mm. and the reason is because it's so easy to just go outside and get the most delicious, cheap food. That literally, they just don't even build new apartments with kitchens anymore.
0: Yeah, I've heard about that. You know, and that would kind of make sense here. A lot of the kind of what we call the like, tao mm. you know, the studio apartments, yeah. You know. There's so many places people don't bother having a kitchen. It's kind of a waste of space and yeah, just not necessary. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So when did you kind of settle down in Taiwan? When did you know that Taiwan would be your home for at least the meanwhile?
0: Well, I remember April 2016, I came here. I was working for a saxophone company. A lot of saxophones are made here in Taiwan. Yeah, Holi, just north of Taichung. Yes. And I'd been coming here for that reason, to go to the factories, get to know them a little bit better. And maybe I didn't speak Chinese at the time, but I could translate my boss's English to English that they could understand. Okay. Because right. I'd been traveling here. I was just picking up things. And now I just started to understand why they were understanding him. About okay. But just to go with the meeting them, and you know, I told him I need to come for two weeks. It was just three days, but those three days I would go down there, meet with the owner, and then play test in this sweaty, no air conditioning factory. And then basically after that, I'd go drink galiang with the owner, <laughs> with the big yes. boss man. But outside of those three days, I would travel around Taiwan, or I'd be here if I was staying here in Taipei. I would just go to pick a random MRT station and then walk around for the right. day, You know. And so that was kind of ingrained in me. And then I remember 2016, April, I was like, you know what? I want to try living over here. You know, not necessarily here, but I knew in Asia. Kind of stayed in a bunch of places for a while. and Then fall, I ended up moving here. Actually I had no intention or I did. I don't know. I kept an open mind going, okay, let's just see how it works. One step at a time. Basically. Yeah, one step at a time. Like maybe after this, I'll go to Japan. Maybe after right. this, go to Korea. You know, first two years actually here, I did go back to the U.S. quite a bit. Mainly to Get some food. Uh, get food, yeah. Uh, but I was still doing shows in Minneapolis and Chicago. First national tours, a lot of times they go to a city and they sit there for a while and they use local musicians. And so I was still getting called for those shows. I didn't tell them I, I had moved to Taiwan. <laughs> At that time, I thought, okay, man, I'm just going to come here for a couple of years and go back. Yeah. If you need um, a gig, it's perfect. Yeah, You'll exactly. Because the second you tell them that you move to the country, it's they'll forget about you. You're going to forget about you. you know? Exactly. Um, And so they're like, hey, we have a show next month. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. I yeah know, i'm ticket. right around the corner yeah, yeah i'll, yeah. Be, I'll there. be there i'll be there you know <laughs> and i remember one time i flew from taipei to minneapolis and from the airport directly went to rehearsals because the flight had delayed by 14 hours or something like that oh goodness <laughs> on a 14-hour flight yeah 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 <laughs> and i remember i i went directly from there and they're looking like hey how you doing and i'm like going you know yeah yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> your, your eyelids falling down yeah
0: so but after a couple of years you know i decided you know I really did enjoy here, and I, I started thinking, okay, how I can get more work here is just being here. And so I decided like, to stop taking shows in the U.S. and just really stay here and see what else I can do here. And yeah, kind of during the pandemic is when I really, really settled down here. Right. You know, as I said before, before, I was flying almost everywhere. Seeing one other, I was thinking, okay, well, I do have a chance in Shanghai. The pandemic kind of forced me to stay here, and that's when I created the big band. Right. Yeah.
2: So this is the inception of the TPO. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about this project of yours. During the early days of COVID, you were stuck here. Everyone was stuck behind closed borders as well. After a while, Taiwan closed their borders. As I mentioned in the intro, a lot of musicians were not finding work, obviously. That took a little while longer. I mean, Taiwan was pretty safe in the beginning. Eventually, mm. everything had to close down as well. So is this the environment where the TPO was born from?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny that, you know, I tell my friends in the U.S., like, oh, yeah, I created a big band during the pandemic. They, like, it's just, they can't you know, fan of me because they were just absolutely devastated. Uh, luckily, I'd been working at Spanxi and the boss, he's like, we're, we're staying open no matter what. Uh-huh. You know, which is pretty admirable, especially there's another saxophone player there that works there, uh, Clooney. And I remember one time I looked at him and I said, I was there Sunday and Wednesdays, and he's there on the Friday and Saturday. And I think it was March or April during 2020. And I said, I think you and I are the only two saxophone players in the world with a gig right, right. now. And he goes, yeah, wow, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> and, you know, in and, and April and May, wasn't getting any better. looks like it's going to be around for a while. And all these musicians were just kind of starting to go out the jam sessions again. And these musicians who I'd never met because they're usually on tours or for instance, Alan's ah band was here in Taiwan. They kind of got trapped here because they couldn't, China shut their border and they couldn't get back into China. Right. They got plenty of spare cash. Yeah. And so exactly. they, they decided to rent a place here and got to know them a little bit. And uh, I started realizing, well, maybe there's something that we can do. And then the the boss of Smexi just said, we were having a conversation. He's like, yeah, well, during the daytime, if you ever have a band that wants to rehearse or something like that, you're more than welcome to mm. do it here. I kind of joked. I said, Well, I've always wanted to start a big band. And then he looked at me with these biggest eyes and he's like, You can do big band? I said, Well, yeah, I've got a lot of music. That's kind of my background. He lived in Shanghai before. You know, Shanghai has a pretty good big band scene. So he was just floored by the idea. And so I said, Well, I just want to have a rehearsal band. So the idea was just to have these guys come in and play some of these charts that everyone knows, you know, the big band the guys know in the U.S. or throw some new stuff at them or just more difficult music that we usually don't get to play on a daily basis. Oh. So we had a combination of tour guys. A lot of guys had come back to Taiwan that were either of Taiwan national who grew up in the U.S. or Canada or, or, or watch out, they're of Taiwanese yeah. blood. Or they're Taiwanese who have been living in New York right or living in somewhere and they came back and so it was kind of a cool combination of all this and i thought okay yeah just let's just try it you know and i thought it would just kind of stay as a rehearsal band and the actually the other reason why too is because i wanted to model the la scene of los angeles la has like 200 300 big bands and this is how everyone knows each other and that's because everyone goes and rehearses in these big bands even like um, you have the guys who are doctors and they just do it on their free time. You have guys who are, during the day, they're recording Batman or some Marvel movie. And then during free time, they go and they rehearse in these big bands. Right? These, these these top, these top, top, top musicians.
2: It's a nexus for all this talent.
0: Exactly. And I mean, it was a community builder. Right. And I, I noticed here in Taipei, there was no community of musicians for whatever reason. And I went, okay, well... Maybe if I started a big band and if other people started a big band, that'd be great because it would be able to bring at least 20 musicians into the same room. You know, saxophone players, the big band has five saxophone players, right? Most pop gigs here or whatever gigs you have one saxophone player. And so this is an opportunity for every saxophone player to, to get to know each other here, trumpet and trombone players, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I viewed it as a way for musicians to improve themselves Okay, I want a band that is not just, yeah, we can just come and play and have fun. But also I want to make sure everyone's getting something. Because we're musicians, we needed to find an outlet to Im- improve. Um, I mean, I play a lot of very long notes for my pop stuff, which doesn't take a lot of talent. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's not very exciting, you know. Uh. Um, and so a lot of the guys who come in a big band, they find it very exciting because the music is difficult. They have to work for it. And it is just a lot of fun. And so having this band was meant for more of those that type of player. There's some people that do teach, but mainly these guys are the guys who are playing all the time. And it was really cool to, to see them really enjoy it. I invited everyone to kind of also participate. But like, hey, if you have charge, you want to do something, you know, just let me know. It'd be more fun. I'll lead it. But this is your guys' band, you know. And so I've kind of gone with that concept.
2: So were you composing, arranging, or doing uh, any of these things as well?
0: Uh, very little. I do more now. Okay. Um, but at the beginning, luckily, I had a library that I've had for a while. Either I purchased them or I knew the composers and they just gave it to me. Mm. Actually, when we started the band, I had a lot of other friends. During the pandemic, it was perfect because they're composers that don't have anyone who can play their music. Right. And so it was an opportunity that, hey, I have a friend in the U.S. He just wrote a new chart. He just gave it to me. Let's read it.
2: I see. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we had a lot of that, and so I was able to reconnect because of this band. Reconnect with a lot of composer friends of mine in the U.S., and they would write new charts, send it our way. We record it. Send it right back.
2: Right. So you started this initially as kind of a rehearsal thing. Yeah. But it turned into something a little more substantive.
0: Well, yeah. After a couple of months, you know, everyone was like, wow, this actually, including myself, we were quite surprised how well things were going. Right. You know, and then after a while, the boss suggested, it's like, well, how will we do a, a Wednesday night or a Thursday night and just have a show? It's a, Sure, let's do it. And actually, right before we did that show, there was an opportunity with the Taipei American School. There's a guy named Ray Hepperer. He had started a band that summer too called the Quarantine Big Band. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and this was meant for all the TAS alumni. Okay, I work with TAS students and work at the school from time to time. And so he invited me to be in there and invited some of the other musicians who worked with them, And so there was that band and that was fun. He decided he wanted to do a show on the Sunday and he said, well, how about this? You guys do half of it and then this band, TPO, will, will do the other half. And so and then that was fun. And so then we did, a, after that, we did our first show. And after that, I said, well, can we do this? Well, the boss right away said, yeah, let's do this once a week. I said, no, <laughs> <I'm> so tired. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, for me to schedule a show once a month is just because everyone is freelance right people suddenly get busy some people are free some you know that's and, the problem with a big band you have yeah.
2: more logistics to take care of
0: exactly and you know when, when people say there's 20 people in the band but actually there's about 40 because it's like okay this time it's great or suddenly he gets a gig at the last minute and I have to find someone to come in and replace you him you have
2: a full roster
0: yeah you have to have a full roster and people who can actually understand the music too right so when rehearsing I do on purpose, switch people out, give other people an opportunity. So, if that main person can't do the show, while there is a
2: someone who someone could just jump in,
0: exactly, someone could jump in and and just do a terrific job, right? Because they understand the style. They may not do hundred percent in the style. What I mean by that is that my experiences come from talking with the people who created the style. And so, when I think a big band, not stuff that you learn in college or from high school, big band, which is more educational, it's mm. meant for you can test it, you know. But that's not how. Big it's not, bands not like performative. Play. It's not. It's not for yeah. performance reasons. Yeah. It's only meant for educational and, and testing reasons. Anyway, so when I have subs, I also need to know that they understand what I'm doing. You know, and here it, the educational level is quite low in Taiwan. It's, it's higher than a lot of other places, but it's very clearly it's meant for education here and not for performance. Right. And I'm, I'm not judging it one way or another. It's just the way it's developed here. Mm-hmm. And so looking at this, I went okay we need to get these group of musicians to that level too, but also not just this group, the next group, you know, and actually my goal, if everyone could rise, this is usually how gigs come about. Sure. Because if the audiences understand that this music is getting better they want to. They want to be involved in that. They want to be listening to those people. You know, most of the time our shows at Smexy are still quite well attended. The other reason why I like Smexy too is because it's what big band was in the 1940s. It's not classical music. It was meant to be listened to, but also you can talk, you can order drinks, you can yeah, order you can food. Swing. Yeah, you could swing dance. You yeah, can, but you could dance. It's, you were supposed it's all, to. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, and that was the cool thing about there. The musicians loved it because we could be having drinks on stage and it's what the music was originally meant for. Mm, Um,
1: Nice.
0: But also, so most of the time the roster, I do some of the original stuff, but also do modern things at the same time.
2: Okay. So outside of this gig at Smexi's, I mentioned that also in the intro, you've played at different jazz festivals throughout Taiwan.
0: Yeah, luckily we've been performing at the Taichung Jazz Festival. We just finished the third time there. First time was back in 2021. And that's right when it was coming out, that first wave of the pandemic. We were invited by Huang Weifeng, the Taiwan, Rich Huang, the Taiwan king. They call him the drummer king here. The drummer king. He's Literally, he's recorded over 100,000 tracks. That's It's ridiculous. insane. It's insane. Yeah. I can't think of someone in the US like that. But here, yeah. But also one of the most humble, nice guys. Really enjoyed my conversations with him. Oh. He really enjoyed the big band, you know. So he invited us to play with him for the Taichung Jazz Festival. And so we've been doing that. We did that the year before that with uh, Dennis Dennis Nier. Dennis Nier, yes. Everyone knows him as the host. and The host and, and of
2: The Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: Um, but he's also a fantastic singer. Fantastic singer. Really right. It's that Frank he's Sinatra. Yeah, he's a great crooner. Yeah. Um, and then this last year, I actually had the opportunity to invite one of my greatest influences, Kenny Holman. Oh, okay. You know, we were just, yeah. we were just yeah. talking about Kenny there. Um, invite
2: him. So you brought him to Taiwan.
0: I brought him here. He just finished a month tour with Corey in Europe. Okay. And so he literally flew, arrived Saturday night. We were actually, the big band, we were down south for Bandao, Bandao Yaoji. I think it's called the Hear Here Festival. Okay. And I was working with Mingyao, all these old grandmas, beautiful, beautiful women, and a couple of guys in the group, and they play traditional instruments. Oh. And so the day before the Taichung Jazz Festival, we were down there doing something completely different. Right. You know, <laughs> um, but he flew in and so I had a friend of mine, picked him up from the airport and drive him directly to Taichung. And then the next day, we got to meet him at the sound check. We drove four hours up. We met him. We did the sound check with him. That was our only rehearsal with him, and then we did the festival. Oh, that's amazing! You know, in front of, I guess they say. I'm sure this number is exaggerated, but they said 150,000 people were there. Yeah, I've seen yeah. pictures. It's incredible.
2: It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, where? What is the venue? <laughs>
0: uh, it's the park downtown. It's okay. outside. You know, I see. And it's, they've been having that there for I don't know how many years now. But it was packed to the brim. Because it's Kenny. He's one of the funkiest saxophone players. So we did an all-funk set with him.
2: Oh, very cool. Um,
0: some really great music. Difficult music. We had a brand new arrangement of uh, one of the Corey Wong tunes, Assassin. Which is super difficult, but a lot of fun. And we did one of his classics, uh, George on my mind. Okay. nice, And just some, just some great repertoire. And you know, the audience just was blown away and the band was blown away. And I was, you know, for me, I've known Kenny since 7th grade and I'm still blown away every time I hear him.
2: Oh. You know, it must just, be amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, it was uh it was it was really really cool to see my biggest influence, my mentor, you know, and just one of the nicest guys on the same stage, you know. Yeah,
2: just jamming together yeah, in yeah, front yeah. of this huge crowd. Exactly, and, and
0: they got up there. Eventually, they all did get up and start dancing.
2: Oh, wow. Really? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, it was really cool because that's what that meant, you know, Uh. that that they came to a festival, that they were a part of the festival. They weren't just there having a picnic, you know. They were really a part of the festival.
2: Yeah, and then we mentioned as well in the intro about last year's, famous or infamous <laughs> National Day <laughs> celebration in Taichung.
0: Oh, yeah, with the with the fireworks. With yes. the fireworks. Yes.
2: And Taiwanese will know about this news because there was a lot talked about this event yeah. for various reasons. But maybe you can give us a little overview of what happened,
0: basically. <laughs> well, the controversy was that we started 20 minutes early. Right. Which I actually, I had no clue. you know and that's the funny part is that uh and we just talked about dennis he was the host for that one of the hosts and uh which is really cool you know uh this event is one of the largest events in Taiwan, the National Day fireworks, and every year the city changes. So this year it was Taichung. Ten Ten. Yeah, yeah. It was cool in our part because it's the first time they've ever invited a big band to be a part of this. Okay. Um, cool. it's always been uh, National Symphony Orchestra or something like that. But Taichung, they're really proud of their jazz history. They're really proud of the jazz festival, and so they looked at all the bands and uh, the festivals in the year. And they realized that okay, we need the TPO. Oh. We feel like this is such a difficult case. TPO is the only band that could probably pull this off. This isn't just you go and you play a set. Everything has to be coordinated to the fireworks.
2: So which, it's like the chicken or the egg. Yeah. Which, which one comes first? The <laughs> The music or the fireworks?
0: Uh, we spent about a week of, because we got the case about a month before. So to put this kind of show together in a That's month, insane. It's, it's, it's insane of all insanity, right? Right. And so we we spent every single day picking songs. We picked the music first. Okay. Um. And so I designed the set list. I picked all the songs, but also there's gonna be this many sets. Okay. This would be this many songs per set. This is the timing of all this stuff. We're gonna have et cetera, et cetera. And then I had to go through it. And basically, there's only a couple of songs that we did from top to bottom. A lot of it were cuts. Okay. And then we did have Shae Ji Young, one of the great arrangers here in, in Taiwan. He did do two brand new arrangements for a singer. Uh, we oh. had Zhang Hui Yi. We said Jiang Hui. Okay. Zhang Hui Yi. Okay. Uh, she came and sang with us. And we did two Taiwanese songs. We did Gayao and then Da Dao Dai. Okay. The da wada. Well, anyways, one of those Taiwanese songs. And so we had brand new arrangements for that. The other kicker is that we added 16 strings to us. We already have a 20-piece band. And at the end of the day, with added percussion, actually it was bigger than 20. So altogether we were a 42-piece band. Plus, we had three soloists. Uh the, the vocalist. We had a Dongwuti, Chinese traditional bamboo flute, and then Sona. And the Sona and the Jongwudi, the reason why they like these two instruments is because that was being featured on our album. Because uh, we let them yeah. know and mm-hmm. said, hey, we'll get to this a little bit later. Right. We gave them and listen to our album they said, this is amazing. This is, you know, exactly what we want. So we actually ended up using a lot of that music for the National Day.
2: Oh, I see. And so okay.
0: before a lot of people actually got to hear the album, they've got to hear a lot of it live. Okay. The, you know, and so. Little snippets. Yeah. So actually, so we had the 36 minutes with the fireworks. And then we actually had two sets, two hour long sets before that. We had one the day before that and then one in the same day. In the oh, evening. wow. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And so we actually did quite a bit of playing. And a lot of the songs, we had to write brand new string arrangements for it too. But a lot of times too, a lot of the music I picked, I knew had strings. And so for instance, a lot of the Frank Sinatra music Ooh. has incredible string parts. So not that difficult, but they're very gorgeous. So I managed to scrounge some of that up and, you know, and I had someone just play an instrument for the melody or just some other really, really great arrangements that I knew had string parts. It was really cool to have our music on my album. We wrote new string parts for that too.
2: Okay. All of this within 30 a days, a month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you have to work with like the pyrotechnics team to coordinate well, the fireworks So with luckily the
0: music? what we did is we recorded everything from top to bottom and then we handed it to them. Oh, interesting. And this is a fun story in, in itself. We had to record just in case it rained. Okay. Because yes. oh, there's see. no yeah. cover, we can't play out in the rain, you know. And so we did record basically. Uh, so Derek Lin, Lin Ka'an, he's my partner in Spain, we said, how do we record a big band and strings in a week <laughs> and make it sound good? He's like, no idea, but let's do it. Wow! You know, And so we we got the rhythm section. And he recorded, he's a bass player. The drummer and him got together and just recorded all 36 minutes. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Chen came in at the last minute. He's great. Huh. Uh, and record that. And then we add the piano player came in, recorded everything. A guitar player came in and then the vibraphone player came in. One day at rehearsal, I said, hey, uh, Next Monday evening, or whatever, who's free? <laughs> you know, So there, was, there were like three trombone players and two trombone, or something like that. And so we did it, recorded from the top to the bottom, and then we overdubbed it. And then so the only thing that were left were the saxophone players. And well, I just did that myself. No way. Yeah. So I, I sat there with the microphone and my computer. So I read the first alto part from top to bottom. A lot of it I was sight reading because I was conducting all this stuff. So I actually haven't played the parts myself. <laughs> And so I would sit there just from the top of the bottom and write it and record the whole thing. And then I did the second alto part. And then the first tenor part. And then the second tenor part. And then I did the bari.
2: So you're just layering instrument by instrument. Exactly. Piece by piece. Exactly. Until you have a big band.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually, the strings got some of the MIDI from the guys. And then we said, yeah, we don't have time for this. Right. <laughs> you Put know, it's good enough. They get, they're getting what they're getting. <laughs> and so we gave them this and then they, they choreographed. They have a computer program. Oh, to, you basically you put the music in with the timing and then you can choreograph the fireworks
2: right where they
0: yeah, yeah. explode. Exactly. And so that's crazy. Um, and you know, and this is for this gig. It's kind of like it's a childhood. It's anyone's child. You get to control fireworks. I know, you know, the biggest ones of all. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. so it's it pretty cool. I mean, that's something I'm never going to forget is we were doing the last song and it's a huge rock song from the planets. And it was a reimagination of it. And so it's this heavy rock version of one of the planets. It was so much fun because I'm saying that, you know, it's the finale. So the fireworks are going crazy. Right. It's when the president is sitting behind me. And I think there's a couple other presidents there. Or, you know, all these. Oh, no Mayor And, and you just turn around and see them. They're enjoying everything. They're enjoying the music. That is definitely a memory I'm never going to forget. And the musicians were enjoying it. And, you know, the, string, the strings were, because I had asked one of my friends, we do Ame to Dong Hui Mei, we do these shows together. Okay. And so I asked him to put the strings together for this. And so they have all these great string players who usually tour with the big pop artists. And so it's such a cool show.
2: So how long was the fireworks show?
0: 36 minutes. That's insane. So to your composition, basically. It, yeah, yeah. So to all these compositions, that I got to pick and got to organize all this. And then, so I guess the people, if we did our math, who got to see the last 16 minutes of it, <laughs> Oh, I see. Right. But actually at that point though, yeah, I guess too, like there's audience was on all four sides. Okay. And so to my back was the president and all their guests. And then to the sides and these, this area was closed off. And so the sides were more distinguished people or something. And then in the back where I was viewing to the band's back. Okay. uh, Was the, uh, I almost want to say the common folks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, what's the English term? The, 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 pleb, the, the plebs. The no, plebeians. No, yeah. no. no. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's where they are, you know, a thousand, you know, a couple thousand people were there. Wow. You know, and so, but that area was full before we had even started. Huh. And so I think even if you got there at eight o'clock, you would have been able to get in. If you got there at seven 30, you couldn't have gotten in. I see. Just, and this is just for me thinking about it, you know, because it was already packed. You know, I, again, this whole timing thing, I have no idea. I just followed the schedule. Right. The I mean, I'm sure said, you had a
2: million things on your mind as well. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, that's exactly, I mean, yeah. we had so much going on, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to remember all the really positive things, you know, Right. but no one, everyone loved the music. Every comment about the music is that they loved it. So mm. that's, that's what I was, my goal was, was met.
2: Wow. Yeah. So what did Tsai say to you? No, nah. Uh, well, what kind of conversation yeah, did you have?
0: Uh, well, unfortunately, I didn't get to. After the show, I did get to turn around and you know. Did you I, wink at least? I, I waved at her. You waved, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Did well, you get I, a wave back? Yeah, I did. She did. Ooh, you know, very nice. I did one of those just kind of thank you type things oh, and, and the Taiwanese yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she did, you know, kind of gave me a reply, you know, physically, and I was like, okay, that's Ooh, cool. Very, you, cool. you know, you know, um. I, it's funny, I've never met I've seen the president in the US, but you know, in, in Taiwan. I know. It, it's cool. It's cool. She's
2: sitting right behind you. Exactly. Protecting her from the plebs. Yeah. You
0: know? <laughs> that's that's so one of my favorite you have English come terms. Far, sir. Yeah, yeah. i got <laughs> the English have such a colorful language. Exactly. And that's one of my favorite words that have come from that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Now that you're in high places, you gotta remember those words, you know. Oh uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think last year, you know, we did the Taipei Jazz Festival. The one I was just mentioning before with the grandmas—that was an amazing show, and a whole. Mm. That's a whole nother story in itself, and there's going to be more stuff coming from that in the future. But that was doing traditional folk music with big band, and, and so having a group. Uh, there's probably about thirty to forty grandmas. Half of them from Manzhou other half from Hungchun, okay, um, and playing all the way there, down in Pingdong uh, down, in Hungchun. Yeah, 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 and uh, down in Pingdong, in the very tip of Taiwan. Yep doing their music, you know, their folk traditional music. Okay, so these are indigenous. Band. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, they're they're Ming yau. Okay. So they're Taiwanese. they, the they original. Yeah, they're original yeah. Taiwanese, you know, from Taiwan, the Taiwanese. These people, their folk songs are from Taiwan about growing up and living in Pindong, Ooh. You know, and they're very to the heart. Everyone knows them. They're passed on orally and gained to write big band arrangements of these songs and then performing with the grandmas. It was such a cool, and just seeing everyone's so gandong. Everyone's just yeah, super appreciative of emotion, you know. And during the last one, they... You know, the, the funny thing, kind of the inside story is these two groups of grandmas actually kind of hate each other. Oh, it's I kind love of, it's it. It's very competitive, you know. Like
2: blue and green. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, but a lot of times they claim, no, this song is, you you don't sing the song right. It's actually this way, you know, or. Dude, I'm or, sure that must be vicious. Or they antagonize each other. It's it's kind really? of cute. Yeah, it's very cute, you know. It's a West uh, Side story again, yeah, it, actually, down at they, the East Side. Actually, it's very West Side story. <laughs> Except with a bunch of 70, 80-year-old and 90-year-old, uh, you know. No way. Yeah, man. Yeah. Anyways, but the music is Did really- Did someone cool. light someone on fire? No, not that I'm Maybe not to this day. <laughs> not yet. Uh, no, but at the end of the day, the thing they do have in common is they love this music. They want it passed on. The government Ping Dong wants it passed on. So they create this uh, Peninsula Festival every year dedicated to just this music. Oh, cool. We're working with wind music, Feng Chao and they suggested, so, okay, we want to do big band with them. I'm like, okay. And this is not an easy thing to do because their music is very free. Right. It's, if they're, yeah,
2: they're, little ambiance. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is Taipei. Exactly. Um,
0: <laughs> It was cool, but it's super difficult because the way that indigenous music I found is actually almost exactly the same. With folk music, a lot of times their melodies stay the same mm. because the melody is passed on, but the words change.
2: Yeah, you were explaining um, that last time. It's so interesting. It's
0: really interesting because if, if you're with a soloist and they're doing a tune, they're actually improvising the words.
2: Huh, off of a same melody, off of yeah, like a and bass the melody, melody. Yeah,
0: off the melody. And the melody doesn't improvised, but it is moved around okay and so they do flow in and out of the melody i remember one of the cute stories i went down with uh xiaoyu she's one of the places that are chinese flute with us but also helps one of my assistants i don't know they have she what they call it Administrator. i don't know what you call assistants, it, it yeah, please, yeah, 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 yeah 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 all these plebeians I, I, right yeah 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 i would not dare her call her that uh, she's amazing you're gonna get in trouble yeah but anyways she i knew she was the person to help me put this show together she's from gaochong she speaks taiwanese because a lot of grandmas i only speak taiwanese yep and so I remember one time she's asking a question and she's going, "Okay, so at one point you just sing one syllable like ah yeah yeah yeah," it's you know. So why are you doing that? And it was quiet. Oh. And then finally the the old ninety three year old grandma, she just kind of looked around. and She goes, "Because we forgot the melody <laughs> or the song, so we don't know, so we just sing."
2: <laughs> That's amazing. That is so fun. Yeah, dude. yeah.
0: It was absolutely hilarious. But that also kind of like brought the spirit back in there. Yeah. You know? oh, it's so cute. Um, but Anyway, so now to design a 20 piece big band around music that is always changing. How do you do that? You know? I know. Um, and so I, I kind of figured out a, f- a few ways to make it work. And the first rehearsal was the day of the show with them. <laughs> you no know? way. Um, and so all the music, we had a couple of arrangements written by some of my friends back in the US, but all the other ones I did myself. And this is the first project that I've actually really written all the music. Huh. And so all the medleys. So each medley had two songs. So we had a Hung Chun melody which had two songs. We had a Manzo melody which had two songs. And the last melody was Manzo and the Hung Chun together. They found two songs that they have in common. The rival gangs. Yes, exactly. Come together. Yeah, through music. Exactly, exactly. Wow. And it was it was so cool. That was the one I spent most of my time. I want to make sure that I was you know, good. I remember the first song went well. Everyone was enjoying it. I mean, the spirit was definitely there. In the middle part was a little bit, we had these swing dancers with us. So suddenly we had this swing dance part in the middle. And then we went back into the second song. And when we started it, I just looked at all the gravity, like this energy came back to them. They started singing and the smiles couldn't have been any bigger. And they were, their hand was hitting their guitar so hard. That you know, is they're so cool. hard. You know, and I could just feel the energy and I could see some of like just the emotion. Right. And so also I'm going, okay, if anyone has to kick together, because I'm I'm actually cueing the grandmas a lot too. I don't speak Taiwanese, but I sat down there and just at least figured out how to mouth it. Okay. You know, for they can understand what they are. Kind of like a choir director at some point, I right, guess. Right, right, right. Um, so I have to be looking at them and being in, in line with them and right. being connected. You're one with them. Yeah, exactly. And so I could feel this, this emotional spirit was so cool. But I'm going, okay. Okay, it's starting to affect. I, I gotta look somewhere else. Otherwise, no I'm way, gonna lose it. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna lose it. You know, and so I turn around the audience thinking, oh, I just wanna see them going like this. Turn around. They're all crying. Oh. Yeah, so they're all being emo- they're super emotional. Everyone in the audience, you know, there's a huge audience. And so then, you're just bawling. You know, and I'm like, okay, I'll look at the band. The band has to be not. I turn around and I look at half the bands bawling. I'm like, no. <laughs> there's no way out, sir. No, there was yeah, 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 no I have no idea how I pulled it through it, but yeah. The last note we probably held for like it felt like twenty minutes because it was so much fun. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was it was such a cool experience, you know, where this this whole idea of I want to really experience Taiwanese music. Right. Not music that's come from China or it's come from Japan, but it's been born here or cultivated here, or it's been here for five hundred years. Mm. You no, know, and that's that's been my goal, and to see that and mix it with big band and create original music.
2: Right. So what you're saying is music that has deep twisting roots yes
0: exactly there we go there's a perfect
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay a perfect segue into yes, segue. yes twisting roots so this is your debut album yep. it just released at the um, end of this last year.
0: Yep, on the 20th of December.
2: 20th of December, 2023. 2023 was a busy year for mm-hmm. this man in front of me. We actually tried several times last year to <laughs> jump on this podcast, but this guy, as you can see, has been super busy. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned to me last time, that October, I believe, of last year, you had 28 shows in 30
0: days? Uh, no, 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 not not as, uh, well, me personally, probably. Okay. Um, but we, oh, I don't know how many festivals. We had Taipei Festival, we had the Dadocheng Festival, we had the Festival, we had the Guoqing Festival, we had we had the Smexi show, we had guests, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and then also, most of the time, we don't have sponsors, we don't have any grants, so a lot of times it's me funding this. Oh, wow. And so I gotta be doing wedding work also on the side.
2: I see. Yeah. Getting that money and then funneling it yeah, into Yeah, basically. A TPO. Yeah, most Keeping of my life.
0: most of my money I get just enough to pay my rent and the rest of it goes in the TPO for all this stuff. So wow. Um, and so that's the reason why I, when I do have free time, I'm usually trying to fill it with weddings and corporate events, and right? Recording sessions and and
2: this is the life of a performing artist here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is the true stories.
0: Yeah, and so and, and rehearsals too. That's the other half. A lot of people don't realize. Right, we don't right, get, right. You know, if you're doing a pop tour, you'll get paid for rehearsals. But most of the time, other things, you don't get paid for rehearsals. Mm. And you do spend four to six hours rehearsing for just one concert or something, you know. So all during the daytime, you're rehearsing, trying to practice in some of that at some form or another. Yeah,
2: so this is the crazy backdrop. This is the environment behind this album. Yeah. So tell us about this album.
0: Well, the, the original concept for this album came about two years ago. We were doing Yatai Shuji, Far Eastern Festival, out in Ilan. Okay, um, and this is one of the first times—not the very first time—when music has. They had invited us to do a show with them you're going to have a sona guest you're going to have an erhu mm. and you're going to have a uh, dai shao jun dai shao jun I've worked with before so i was like okay, yeah, sure traditional sure. chinese instruments yeah yeah so but there are no arrangements for this right yeah you know you can't be like oh yeah the sona yeah we have an arrangement don't worry no there isn't right this is really interesting to me because i might want to create new big band music from really taiwanese culture right and so this was a perfect opportunity. And so we, with the Sona Haokashi, which is on the album, is the second song on the album. And then with the Erhu, we did Plain in the Rain, which is the second to last song, the sixth song on the album, which is actually a famous Hakka song. Uh, mm. Haokashi is originally a Hakka song. Actually, it's funny, Xiaoyu, the, the woman that plays the bamboo flute, she and Sona, they're in a band together called Haokashi.
2: Oh, okay.
0: And so, oh, oh, sorry. The English is The Great Hakka Song. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So The Great Hakka Song, also known as Hauke Shi, it came about from this band and they had an arrangement of it. And basically, I didn't know the music, but I trusted Xiaoyu and I trusted Xie Jiang, the arranger. I said, okay, you guys give me some options to listen to songs. You know, I had a, kind of like this list of criteria. And okay, write the arrangement. You know, and some of the arrangements I was more direct on. Okay, I'm going to write some of this stuff, or I invited one of my colleagues from the US to help us arrange. And it turned out pretty well. It's both, a great song. Uh, the song, uh, both the soloists really enjoy it, the listeners enjoy it, and the band enjoys it, which are right. super important. One of the most important things for me for this music is that if we're going to do a haka song in jazz music, I want the haka, people who are from the haka culture, from the haka tradition, to also enjoy the music. Mm. I want them to be able to listen to this arrangement and get something out of it. But also the other way around, I want someone who has a deep jazz background to also enjoy the arrangement and get something out of it. Mm. Um, I feel like a lot of arrangements nowadays are very one-sided. Maybe they know that, oh, there's 20 people and they write an arrangement for it. But it's very clear that the jazz history, the jazz tradition is not there. Or it's the other way around with the jazz tradition's there, but the haka tradition's not there anymore. Right? It's washed out. It's, it's been washed out. The form is wrong or the melody is too obscure. And so that's one of my... Biggest criteria when I have it. challenges.
2: I mean, that sounds like a very difficult challenge to kind of balance those two prerogatives.
0: It is because you need someone who could understand both sides very deeply. Exactly. And there are very few people like that. Right. It's um, translating again. This it,
2: difficulty it, of translating, right?
0: Exactly. That's what it is. It's just two different languages and finding a way that you can speak Chinese and English at the same time and both sides understand. And sing it and sing it and arrange it <laughs> compose it <laughs> um, you know and that's the other thing too with me you know I explain all this in Chinese and trying to get my words across too and artistic values across in a different language is always fun too I don't always succeed in fact a lot of times I don't <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that that was the goal and so After this festival, I went, you know, I think we're starting to have enough material now. We need to put an album out. Mm. Because I think the musicians have really gotten to a level that hasn't ever been experienced here in Taiwan that's indigenous to Taiwan. It hasn't happened yet, you know. And I want original music that is high, you know, which is modern big band. Before TPO, I there's people who played it but didn't really understand it. I think. I think that there hasn't been modern big band yet until the arrival of TPO. And that was one of my goals. You know, modern doesn't mean free jazz. Right. It doesn't mean something that people can't get out. It just means that there's
2: free jazz is a totally different thing. It's
0: a whole totally different yeah, thing. You it's know, it's another, um, it's not fusion where it's just, you know, electronic it with big band has evolved for a hundred years and that evolution is not here. You know, it's very educational big band here so far. And so I wanted to break from that mold and see, and the musicians did too. They just didn't have an opportunity. Mm. You know, and so I'm really happy that this was an opportunity that came about. And so I wanted this album to be a celebration of that. To have something that is them, but also something that they've been working for, which is modern big band. Huh, you okay. Oh And so taking a song like Hauke Shi, which is also still new modern music. This is a modern haka song, but it already has, it is haka. In, in right, flavor. it has those roots. It has those roots. And so originally I invited Xie Jiang and then he... Suggested his friend Claudio, a great Italian composer in Italy. He's teaching at The Hague right now. He did the original arrangement, and then I asked him to do the big man arrangement of it. Mm. Um, it turned out great. And then I wanted to also have music on there that is newly written. So I invited, there's a composer here named Matt Fullen. Matthew yes. Fullen. He's been nominated for a Golden Melody Award for his jazz albums. Which right. In the producer category. So he's going against JJ Lin and all these guys. And he beat, no, I unfortunately didn't beat them. <laughs> Next year. Next year. You know, no, uh, we always joke. He's good friends. You know, we always joke about it. Actually, even when he got the GMA, the nomination, he's like, do I have to go to this? What is this about? It's kind of, you know, <laughs> it's just something he had no interest. In. It's cool because he just cares about the music. He's not going for the award. He's just going for great music. Mm. Um, So one of his albums called Don't Get Too Comfortable and his song on there called Moving Portraits. And this song I've always listened to. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, and we were talking and he's like, you know, I want a big band arrangement. And this is actually before. This is about two and a half, three years ago. And he's like, I want to have new big band music. He's like, well, I've been thinking about talking with Alan Ferber. Alan Ferber is at NYU, New York University. He's the head of jazz there. Mm. Um, highly awarded ranger, great guy, incredible musician. His big band albums are just phenomenal, just kind of the epitome of modern big band, Mm. like where the evolution of big band music has gone. And those are his albums. And so Matt's like, yeah, so I called up Alan and he already agreed that he'll do one of the arrangements. Like, what? Oh, wow. (laughs) And so he's like, yeah, so can you have a conversation with him? And I actually, I had met Alan years ago in LA at a club called the Blue Whale. Alan is a great trombone player and his brother is a great drummer. Okay. Um, His brother actually has been here in Taipei a few times. Mark Ferber, And so I got to meet Mark at Sapo Club, you know, get to meet him talk. But I said, actually, I've seen you guys play with your big band in Los Angeles in 2000 uh, before. Right. You know, <laughs> and uh, and like a great saxophone player, Ben Wendo was playing tenor in there. Like just kind of the up and coming guys were all playing that band. And so I've always remembered Alan's name from this, you know, these just amazing arrangements. And so to have a phone call with him was just so cool. Wow. You know, and eventually, yeah, we picked Moving Portraits and it's the first so song he on the created album. a
2: new arrangement, a big band arrangement off exactly. of Matt's original. Exactly, okay. and it,
0: it just turned out so well. And, and this opens up the album. It, you know, this it, is the first it, track. Exactly, and when I was picking the order of this stuff, I'm like, I had no question, this is the opening in the album. It shows that it's gonna be a beautiful album. Mm. That's kind of the my purpose of this. You hear the piano starting by itself, you hear everything slowly coming in. You go, okay, it's going to be a beautiful album. Okay, it's modern language, but there's something still Taiwanese about it. Actually, it was new music written not by a Taiwanese, but by someone that has moved here and deeply influenced by Taiwan. Mm. You know, and that and that's what "Moving Portraits" is actually the song. It's about it's about Matt after he moved here a couple of years, about going back and forth, the portraits of what's in his mind. Mm. You know, of between the two countries and how they're changing and how they're influencing each other. And so that's how that that song came about. And then Alan actually did end up arranging Elegant, which is the fifth song on the album. And Elegant actually was written by Matt from the Book of Poetry, the Shijing Book, mm. Book of Poetry, which is 3,000-year-old Confucius poetry that this band called Zai The Way, Zhong Yong. Yes. Uh, Caitlin, I think she's been yes. on the show. Yes, DJ Caitlin yes, of ICRT. Exactly. So this is her band that yes. she, she, shout out. Her and Matt had created together. Right. And so this song actually has two names, Fading Way, which was just released last week. Uh, oh, sideways okay. version of it. Go pick um, that up, everyone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Stream it many times.
0: <laughs> yes. So, Fading Away and Elegant are actually the same song. But the reason why I decided to go with Elegant, because Elegant was the original translation of this poetry. Huh. And then, Fading Away came about because we actually ended up changing the lyrics of the song and swapped them out for Taiwanese lyrics. And so, it's a mix of English and Taiwanese with the Sijing. Poetry. Wow! And so it's a really cool song. I wanted to keep this an instrumental album, and so that's where we decided to go with Elegant. So we just had the melody, and we had Alan do an arrangement of it, and that's where that came about.
2: So, are there any vocals on this album at all?
0: There is the very last song, which I need to learn because it's actually an indigenous word. Mm. Uh, if I remember, said Makate or something like that. I'm, I'm really sorry to my teacher. <laughs> uh, anyways, I always call it by its Chinese name, Kusu. Kusu, okay. yeah, yeah, Kusu. Yeah. Uh, those are two words I actually understand very well. Right. It's a very interesting, you know. Can we get to this one a little bit later? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay we'll okay, save okay, that. Okay,
2: we'll save the tears for later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: The, cu- the other song that was really interesting, I think a lot of people are getting is the third song.
2: Okay, in uh, English it's called Nightfall Harbor Rain. Yes,
0: which no one in Taiwan is going to know what that song is if you hear the English. But if you say the Taiwanese, how is your Taiwanese? Terrible. It's, it's, I can I can curse <laughs> okay, quite okay. well in Taiwanese. <laughs> anyway, Gong Du, yeah, you. Ooh. Okay. Um, and that song is a very famous Taiwanese song. It's been around. If I remember, it was originally written in the 1940s, 1950s. And it's about the rain in Gelong. Ooh. Okay. Um, it's but actually there's a lot of rain theme. We figured out there's a lot of rain theme with this song, okay. of this album, which is good because roots need rain. Yes, they <laughs> absolutely go, do to grow. Uh, I just love that one right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: New marketing coming out. <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. This song features Chung the Chinese bamboo flute, and was written by Chie Jiang. To my opinion, my my feeling is Jiyang's best writing. Oh. It's just such an incredible piece, and you feel that you're in Jilong. And it's raining and you're feeling there's something going on, you know. And actually, this this is actually more about the story of the song itself. Because the song itself came out as a traditional song. And then it came out again in the 1980s or 1990s, I can't remember when, as a rock song. Oh, okay. and I can't remember which band it was but it, a really famous uh, rock artist came here and they did a rock version like a 1980s like rock version like hard rock <laughs> yeah just like electric play in the melody you know, and oh, saxophone, you know kind of cool kind of very bluesy and so when I was talking with Ji Young I said I want this song to represent the history of that song also oh. but the history is also not done I also want modern version of this song. And so the song starts very almost like you see the scene and then you hear the bamboo flute come in. And you can really feel the tradition of Taiwan and and, you know in bamboo flute. And then all of a sudden it goes into a trumpet solo. After you takes this amazing solo, all of a sudden everything drops out and it's just percussion and trumpet and Yannick Barman. Yannick just won the Golden Melody Award a couple times with Baby Lao with Baby C. Yeah. No, for his album. And he's a great uh, racist. Switzerland, right? Yep. Amazing Swiss trumpet player. Incredible. It can do anything, you know, classically jazz. He loves using effects.
2: Ben was just on tour with yes, Yannick. Ben,
0: yeah. Ben Holt, the guitar player, was yes. just on tour with him. Yes. Exactly. Okay. But Yannick, he actually is also does these great sets where he DJs and uses trumpet. Oh no way. Yeah. So he has he has a computer with his pad and everything. And he does these great sets with in his trumpet one and, hand and, and, and yeah yeah and then doing all those great effects it's incredible music and so i said well, i need that somewhere on the album yeah <laughs> and so that's where this is um, so he comes in with his He a comes solo. in and it's just a total from out of nowhere and i remember the first time we were in the, in the recording studio and we did it the rage is he just looks at me go what <laughs> <laughs> cuz he he just thought it was just going to be over there and all of a sudden there's all this other stuff and he's just like it just goes wow he just he it totally went in a different direction and what i wanted this was to represent the Sandai, the third generation of the song. Mm. And so it goes from the first generation to the third, immediately to the third generation. And then after that, Ben comes in with a great guitar solo, this epic. I was you listening know? to it
2: and I was like, that's Ben. Yeah. I could right? tell immediately. Exactly. You no, know, 100%. Exactly. It was beautiful.
0: And Ben did such an amazing job on that. And that was to an ode just representing the blues. Oh. of this song and then it comes back kind of with all three of those kinds of things tied in together at the end you know and yeah it, that track is
2: crazy it's it's great so and, and
0: it's so cool that it was written by you know a Taiwanese and that's kind of like the epitome of this album is like okay this is where Taiwan's going and you have this great tradition and it's going somewhere that it doesn't even know yet
2: right yeah and all this emotion yeah, connecting to Jilong. Exactly, Yeah,
0: and so, but the most emotional song, I guess we'll go there now, is okay. the last track.
2: Let's do it, let's go. You
0: know, uh, Kusu. Yes. Um, Kusu was originally by Saoni Yao. Sonia Yao is a traditional Paiwan tribe, indigenous tribe here in Taiwan. And this is one of her songs that she did on her album in, I want to say 2011, 2012. She actually originally did this song back in 2001, for a competition. And this song was originally sung by the women of the Paiwan tribe when their significant other has passed away. Mm. So there's already a lot of deep meaning in this. It's
2: Like a funeral song.
0: It is a funeral song. It's a very interesting song where it's actually gone. The original women that did sing all this all had passed away themselves. And so this song actually disappeared and then Xiaoning brought it back. Wow. Because she remember this song as a kid. Remember hearing this song. And so she brought it back. And so she, she on her album, it, she sang the song and then she also plays nose flute. Right. It's a Paiwan instrument. It's, it's this haunting, beautiful, just amazing traditional instrument with obviously nose, we have two pipes, we have two holes so you two can pipes. have two pipes. Yeah. Right. And the one of the pipes is a drone so there's no holes in it. Okay, but with the harmonics you can change pitches, Whoa. and then the left side traditionally has three holes in it. Hers, she has four, sometimes up to five, more of a modern version of it. Um, oh wow! And so basically, and you can change the harmonics of both sides. Actually, she's taught me how to play it, so it's pretty cool.
2: You can do uh, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can do that. That's insane. Um, I'm, I'm, but now because I can do that, I also realize how amazing this woman is at this instrument. And kind of in another quick background story. Until her, it was a male-only instrument. Oh, I see. You, you had to be a guy in order to play this instrument. Right, women were not yeah, allowed to. they were not allowed it. So when she came in and she found a teacher who was willing to teach her, because she was just have so interested in it, and it turns oh. out. Now she is everyone's teacher here. So, like Sambui, Dai Xiao Jun, anyone who plays this instrument, she's the teacher.
2: Okay. Yeah. She's the Queen Lao Yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's because, and if you hear her on this album, she's doing things. It doesn't sound like she's breathing because she could play such a long phrase. And if you just try blowing on your nose, how can you blow out? You know, it's. Exactly. It's not like there's a lot of back pressure going on. Right, 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 right. You right. know, and so. And then she adds this vibrato, this very distinct vibrato. You use up even more air. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. right, right. And it's such, it's very controlled. And so I remember when I was working with her, I said, give me a couple of your songs from your album, the ones that you suggest. Okay. And so the first song, oh, it's nice. Second song, it's nice. And then this one I listened to just the intro. I like, yep, this is the song. Really, I didn't even know the story yet. When she told me the story, I was like, "Yep, this is definitely this." Oh wow! <laughs> I wanted something super emotional, something that everyone is going to listen to it and it's going to affect them emotionally. Right. You know, without
2: even knowing the story, without no, even knowing it, the... just
0: feeling it. I wanted to create a piece that people are going to listen to and form their own story. Right. It is kusu. Kusu means crying and lamenting. Exactly. Yeah, and then this song, even if you don't know the story, it's going to happen. Oh,
2: you will. Yeah, yeah you, you will know, hear it.
0: As far as other background of the song, I'm deeply influenced by Maria Schneider. Uh, Maria Schneider is a modern big band composer in the U.S. Okay. Um, and she's gotten the Grammy for her albums. She's she's the one that really pushed modern big bands during the 1990s. She's the one who introduced all these orchestral. Originally, it was Gil Evans in the 1960s. Maria Schneider was Gil Evans' copyist. Oh I see and So okay. whenever Gil Would write down And she would write out All the parts For the band members And so she was learning By writing all this stuff Exactly And so then she came About with her She's also from Minnesota Wisconsin i uh, sorry Minnesota Which is next right. to Wisconsin Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin She's Minnesota So I, I kind of get the feeling You know Right 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 Um she, yeah, her mouth is very dirty. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's just like the one of the sailors. Oh, really? That's <laughs> oh, yeah, funny. Yeah. Anyways, but she's cool. She's you know. Um, That's why she's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, she was one of our guests when I was in college at the Old Claire Jazz Festival, and so I got to meet her and, and talk with her. And there's a piece that she wrote on her album called The Concert in the Garden," and the last one's called "The Bolero." And the Bolero is a song that she wrote. When she spent time with indigenous people down in, in Peru, mm. it's all flamenco based. But this isn't flamenco that you learn it, you know, in dance classes or something. This is what she learned with, and so that's always been in the back of my head. This piece, and so if you go look up, actually, you won't find it on YouTube anywhere because she's made sure none of her music is on any streaming platforms. She's with Artists Share, and one of her goals is to fight streaming and all this stuff. So, okay, uh, which
2: is so if you stream it, she'll curse you out. Yeah,
0: well. <laughs> anyways uh, I don't have the power she does so you know um, but it's it's quite commendable what she's been trying to do to get musicians paid for streams right 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 she's been lobbying for it anyways so her music has always been a huge influence on me just the colors the drama for me as a multiple woodman player putting oboe and English horn and all these non- big band common instruments in there. Mm. Um, and her colors are very, very crunchy, but it, they sound amazing and beautiful. Huh. And she really knows how to draw emotion. So this has always been back in my head. So as soon as I heard Sao Yao's song, the Pan Wanzhu song, I knew this was, this is what I needed. I finally see. found the Taiwan version of this song. Right. Yeah.
2: Deeply tied to those kind of indigenous roots and- Exactly. Deeply and so emotional as well.
0: It's super emotional, you know. How we did this verse is that I said, hey, Ben, can you do me a quick favor and transcribe this song for me? He's like, oh yeah. Is it like a pop manner? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. No, and he got done. He's like, whoa. That's probably the hardest transcription I've done in a while. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's Yeah, because there's a lot of free time, a lot of, you know, and so then I did is I went to Matt Folan, the piano player, I said, hey, Matt, I want you and I just to, we're going to go for an evening, and I'm going to put this sheet in front of you, and I'm going to put it in front of me, and let's just improvise. Because Matt and I, we love doing duo together, playing piano, me playing flute or clarinet or whatever. So we spent all that time, and we just, we went to the studio, our TPO studio, and I Kind of turned a lot. Kind of, I don't want to say it made kind of romantic. I <laughs> think about it, <laughs> but I, I want to like have an emotional. I'm gonna put some yeah, romantic, romantic music on. in the background yeah, yeah, here. No. And so we just started improvising and I didn't tell him, like I had a recorder going the whole time. Oh, okay. You know, and I said, oh yeah, let's do this. And then I'll remember to write something. No, I actually recorded the whole thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't, he didn't, I Lights don't think out. he knew about Yeah, He was yeah. blindfolded. Yeah, so yeah. he had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and so what I did is we just improvised and then I said, okay, Matt, let's go somewhere else now. You know, oh. and we started improvising in a different direction. Take them and to the dungeon. Oh, yeah, I yeah, see. Yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing. <laughs> not this time, anyway. No. <laughs>
2: we had a lot of work to get done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Didn't have time for that.
2: Um, no. Uh, We're going deep into those twisting roots right now. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, those are whole different roots. <laughs> um, we improvise for about three hours, mm. you know, and just kind of pushing each other and, and figuring out how, what else can we do with the song? What else, you know, What kind of other color, you know, and he's so great at finding different colors on piano and different harmonies and just pushing and going different places. And then recorded all that and got done and he's like, wow, that was fun. I said, yeah, it's great. All right. So I recorded the whole thing and I'm going to give it to Aaron Eddenstrom in the U.S. And he's going to write a piece from it. (laughs) No way. What was his reaction? Well, he's like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I invited Aaron because Aaron had did an arrangement for us before, for that Yata Ishujii. For the mm. Yatai Far Eastern Festival. Okay. Um. In Milan. And that was for Dai Shao Jun, the indigenous singer guitar player. One of her songs called Mata Ju Mak. Okay. Um, no one in listening to this is gonna remember this. Right. I probably didn't even say it right. Sorry. Shao Jin didn't have anyways. Um and he did such an incredible job of bringing out the indigenous colors by keeping big ba- you know. Mm. Um this, it, was, it was emotional. I said, Okay, I really have a huge batch for you. I gave it to him in the original song, he's like, Yes. I just cleared my schedule. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Really? Yeah. He's teaching saxophone at my university now. Great composer. Incredible saxophone player. Great flute player. Great clarinet player. I've known him since he was 18. He just took this. I gave him a form. I said, okay, this is the requirements. This is the form we're going to do. And so basically starting a month and a half before the recording session, every single week, we would get a little bit more. Oh, okay. So we would get, you know, he's like, okay, this is the beginning of part one. We rehearse every week. With TPO, we rehearse every Thursday. And I said, okay, every week we're going to rehearse. I want something new every week. It's like, Ooh. good. He just started summer vacation, so that was pretty easy for him.
2: So you're just unfolding this track, basically. Exactly, exactly. Huh. So the
0: guys in the band didn't know either what we were recording. We actually didn't play through the whole song until at the recording session. It was the first time we ever played from very beginning to the very end. And a lot of the material was new at the recording session. That's interesting, yeah. okay. And so like, I quick the night before, I would get the PDF from Aaron, I said, okay. And then all the group chats, I'm like, okay, the new music's here, please look, please look, please look down, we're recording this tomorrow. Oh,
2: that's crazy. <laughs> you
0: know, when we recorded it, the intro, we recorded a couple of them and then recorded from the intro all the way to the very end. And we did three of them. Three you know, takes? A, yeah, three takes. Okay. And most people are like, oh, three takes is fine. This is a 17 minute song.
2: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. You know, <laughs> so three takes is a good amount of time. Right, right, right. Um. But in the middle of the song is a part where Sonia, she actually is singing yeah, and she's singing the melody. And if you remember, I was talking about the grandma's indigenous music, the melody stays the same, but the lyrics change. Yes. So she actually prepared and improvised lyrics. She had three sets of lyrics. We actually, just in case we did a non-lyric version too, I just wanted her to vocally sit, you know, but I didn't want to affect her. I didn't want to have us playing and affecting her in any way. Mm. because I knew that because of Western music affecting that would have some type of result that is not going to be good. Interesting. Or it's it's not going to be true to indigenous music. And so when we got to her part, the whole band dropped out. We did our section and I want her to listen to our section of it because that would help her get some type of, you know, feeling of what the song, where it's going. But when it dropped out, it's just her. And she sang the whole thing by herself, which is incredible. Her pitch didn't change once. It's just incredible because there wasn't anyone supporting her. Yeah, And she just did it. It was amazing.
2: That's amazing. And then we came in in a studio.
0: Yeah, this is in the studio. And then we record after the vocal part, there's a flute solo and saxophone solo that I do on there. I did the solo the first time. And actually after that, I just just need to conduct it. So I didn't do the solo. I conducted everything. Okay. And then the last very, very, very last part is her singing again. And so again, everyone drops out. It's just her. So after this is all done, everyone starts going home. We have so many overdubs that we have to do. And so I I was trying to calculate how to do this because it's already getting to like 6, 7 p.m. I'm going, we have so many overdubs i have my personal stuff i have nine instruments i have to record still oh no way yeah that's because i have saxophone i have soprano saxophone i have flute i have alto flute i have bass flute i have clarinet i have bass clarinet i have contrabass clarinet uh yeah yeah all these different instruments which is so much fun right uh so what I did is during the dinner break. So Aaron is over in the US and is 13 hours behind. And so before that, I said, Hey, you're gonna get a phone call at 4 AM with a new track. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to you're gonna to have to write out. And he had prepared a lot of stuff before what to put underneath the vocal. Mm. But we're gonna give you the vocal that we selected and you're gonna to have to write everything. Or took everything you prepare and fit it. Right, 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 hey, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It ended up being delayed and delayed. And so it was about 7 a.m. there. He got the vocal part. And so he was doing one of the vocal parts here. And then there was a non-vocal part. Ben and Matt were here doing it, transcribing it and trying to put together what Aaron had written. After once we got that, we say, "Okay, we're going to start overdubbing everything underneath there. So the first person, Jahwe, went in with marimba. Matt went in because he's the one that put all those parts because everything had a number. Everything was just cued. Right. And so, like, okay, here's one. Okay. The next one is four. And he was cueing her. Okay. And so she laid down that. And then the bass went in after that. And after that, I started going in and I recorded. And it, during the dinner break, too, I was recording. I did all the bass clearance stuff, you know, one 17 minute pass, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we got home. The light it just started getting light again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and if
2: everything weren't numbered, it would be impossible.
0: Yeah, it would be next to impossible. Right. But the idea is in order to prepare it, I said, Aaron, okay, we're just going to write chords and some movement in that chords. And so it would it, like sketch out a skeleton. Day, we sketched out the skeleton and we actually, three weeks later, we actually ended up going back in and then finally overdubbing again, all the extra parts that we didn't get in that day. By that time, like, there's no way we're going to get all the brass in. There's no way we're going to. So I said, okay, we're just going to come in and do it another time. Because that way we have time to really look at it and and rewrite stuff. And This is insane. Yeah. And then I went in another day and recorded my solos. You know, the flute for that. And that's just the beginning. Once we got into the editing part of this song.
2: I know. I asked you to show me some screenshots (laughs) of the programs where you were editing. Yeah. And it was amazing.
0: Well, I realized that Andy Baker is an amazing mixer, amazing. He's doing a great job at u Cinema Studios. And it's going to take him forever to go through, because each song we basically did four takes. And for him to go through each one and figure out which one to do and which note to take from which take, Right. You know, or something was a little bit better. This take, this, you know.
2: Each track, each instrument has four takes. Exactly. It? That's crazy. And so if
0: he were to do that, because he's not that familiar with the music as we are. Right. Or specifically me. Sure. Um, it would take him forever and it would be very expensive. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which obviously yeah, yeah. you need to get paid for your time. Sure. So I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I'm very familiar with Logic. He uses Pro Tools. And so I downloaded Pro Tools and Andy gave me a five-hour crash run in Pro Tools. And then I said, okay, there you go. Have fun. And so, yeah, I edited the album. So you're just
2: laying hundreds of tracks.
0: Yeah. Oh, and actually, Kusu, that last song, we actually had a hundred recorded tracks by the end. Oh, no. (laughs) So...
2: 100 recorded tracks exactly four takes at
0: least for yeah. each instrument and a lot of it I re-orchestrated so it means that there was this bass clarinet part over here i wanted it over phrase, here and i put it over here it. and i moved this over here and like, okay, this is great. Okay, there's a bell hit that I remember that she did later. I wanted to do it here. And you
2: would bring that bell hit exactly up a little bit.
0: Yeah. Or between the transitions, I need to create a transition. Oh, wow. So Andy and I actually created transitions from existing material in order to go from one section to another, you know, for a couple of things and just using crossovers and all this amazing stuff. You know, it's funny. I, and I started thinking, I probably spent a hundred hours. No, I've actually spent probably 400 to 500 hours editing this thing.
2: For one track? For the whole album. For the whole album.
0: Uh, Kusu, the last song, I did about two, three weeks of just every day editing right. and orchestrating. And then actually, when we actually finally got to the mixing part of it, Andy and I spent probably two days just mixing. Huh. He went in through first himself, you know, setting up everything, setting up the equalizing everything, make sure that the room sound is correct, you know, balancing. And he did all that, right? And then I went in, I went to the studio and I, I was so comfortable with Pro Tools at that point because I'd been using them to edit the whole album. I said, right. I'd been watching him. I said, can I just do it? He said, good. I gotta get dinner. Oh, you know? Goodness. And so I, and I spent about six hours just on this song automating a lot of stuff. So I mean like, okay, I like the flute here, but it's too loud at the beginning, but I want it louder at the end. So I would take the volume and stretch it or I would take it in and move the volumes up and down.
2: So that's not even automating. You are like manually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manually. Right, yeah, right. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with Pro Tools, we call it automation. Were, so, right, 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 yeah.
2: right, right. Exactly. I thought it was an AI thing, but no, no, this is actually manually adjusting.
0: Yeah. So, like the brass section recorded this cool thing here. And so, I wanted to come in and out, you know, and obviously it's maybe just a straight note, but I wanted to kind of peek in here and then come out just for it creates kind of like think about a, a river below it, kind of like having, you know, waves here and everything that is it, going somewhere.
2: Wow. Yeah. Do most big bands. Do
0: this much work? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say yes, but because there's a culture over there and people who mix big band, they're listening. They automatically know a lot of that is not this much involved. And so for this, I really, really got in detail oriented. And the musicians, again, they have this culture so they know how to record. And so and I'm saying the guys, I don't know how to record. We don't know how to record big band. A lot of these guys have never been, they go in by themselves and do things Going with 20 other people, that's not really heard of here. Exactly. So, there is a culture of that in the US. So, we can play this music at a very high level and we can play it to the level that's in the album, but in the recording studio, it's just a whole different situation. So, things were a little bit off or something, but the material is good enough that I can go in and I can manipulate it too. Right. It's them. You know this isn't a computer version this isn't the studio version you know it's a very clean version of them and this way okay i want this solo the third take of the solo is much better than the fourth okay i can take that and then move 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 but in the us they're used to doing this i mean there's so many big band albums that come out actually i, I think if a member heard right for the golden melody award to be applied for this year we were probably the first big band to ever apply for the golden melody awards oh wow yeah. okay Nice. Um, to my knowledge, I could be wrong too. Okay. in, in those kinds of things, because it's it just, again, there isn't a culture of doing it
2: here. So when is the golden melody?
0: Usually it's summer, is okay. that correct? Yeah, yeah, usually I know of like June, July, July, August, around that time, if I, I remember I see, correct. yeah.
2: Okay, have you written your victory speech yet? <laughs>
0: <laughs> i've been dieting a lot no <laughs> no 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 i mean i have, it, it would be great if we got recognition i really do think it will because it is something that hasn't ever been done here but they pulled it off the musicians really worked hard and brought this out and i think that everyone who's listened to the album has gotten something out of it yeah um, people who never thought they would listen to big band they listen to it, they go wow oh, this is what i really wanted to hear but i didn't know yeah <laughs> you know no being
2: like perfectly honest, I'm not a huge big band guy, naturally. Mm. I don't necessarily listen to Big Ben. It's definitely not my go-to. But after talking with you late at night, like midnight, sitting in bed, listening to another romantic scene, lights down and nice speaker as well, I think really helps. Yes. But we listen to that and oh man it was incredible especially at night right before you're going to bed and we actually played that 17 minute you know that last one first actually because i needed to hear it after talking to you about it and it was so powerful we were just mesmerized by those sounds
0: the 17 minute song i'm very cautious because your 17 minutes will disappear very quickly yeah
2: (laughs) you mentioned that and we thought the exact same thing we're like Oh, was that finished and I had to look at it. And that's what you said. You said it actually goes by quickly and Yeah. it totally does.
0: it it's a song that I mean, it just draws you in, you know, and, and you There's hear a story it. there too. Yeah, there's a story. That's probably one of the most important things that if I learned anything about music is there's a story. That's what music's about. It's it's about the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not about one particular person. You know, this isn't about one musician in the band. This isn't them just, you know, trying to blow over changes or just them trying to do something that's been done before. Right, show off their skill. Yeah. This is, again, I want to represent Taiwan. And I want to, especially, I have really a lot of interest in indigenous music here. Mm. Um, And this was my, just my goal, that people are going to listen to this and they're going to know this is indigenous music, but also they're going to know it's big band music and that, It's using these two vehicles to create a new vehicle to get a story across.
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful piece of work, man. Congratulations, Shinkula, for all that hard work. (laughs) Because I don't think a lot of people, you know, when they hear it, it's just seven tracks. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just seven tracks, so you know they might not understand or realize the process, all of these kind of pieces that have to be put together, the editing afterwards, coordinating all the musicians, and
0: yeah. Well, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm starting to realize. I talked to some of the musicians about the process now, and they they had no idea. You I know? was <laughs>
2: just with Ben the other night. Um, he was at a gig actually, and we talked about our conversation at that gig, and I told him a little bit about what we talked about. I was like, oh my goodness, the process this was so crazy it's like oh man I gotta listen to that I, I have no idea what the pro, what was the process like man
0: well yeah I mean because a lot of guys they this is why I like what they did because they needed to be there that was their part to rehearse their music to be very familiar with their part to be familiar with everything that's going on around them to do great solos and that's what they need to do and that was their part of this album but if you have 17-20 people with different ideas how to create an album that's never going to be successful in the future of course that'll work but mm. I wanted to kind of just control that just have one single idea behind this album.
2: A lot of times you need to do that. Yeah.
0: But also means that all the work was on my shoulder. Exactly. <laughs> Which I, I'm more than happy to do. I'm never complaining about this stuff. You know, I'm happy that I, I have the, the ability to do this. And it's funny, after I was done editing, I went to editing, I'm like, do you have anything else I can edit? I'm kind of bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, after yeah. being in
2: the lab that much time, right? That yeah, long, he's yeah. just like, after you're done, it's... So how does it feel now that it's done? Do you feel this kind of like postpartum depression type of thing where you, (laughs) you have this emptiness right after birthing your baby in some ways, or do you kind of feel excited for the future and, you know, the future children you will birth, you know, these kind of creative things that are coming.
0: It sounds painful, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) no, actually all of that, you know, I, um, I love being busy. I love being in the process of, you know, never sleeping and just constantly working at this. You know, this fall was incredible for the band and I'm glad that I can push them, you know, and they push me back and we have this, you know, this uh, Wuxiang, this kind of working together. Yeah. But yeah, it's done now and it's like, okay, what, what do we do next? But we're in the process of pushing the album too. Right which is something I've never done, you know? And so it's, we're just kind of slowly, luckily I have this great company, Wind Music is helping us because they they know how to push this album. They're not a pop company who's just going to ignore this. They really know good music. They really enjoy the album. And actually that's the most important thing. I still enjoy listening to the album, which is something I've, I'm happy about I realize I still, whenever I'm driving or something, I always have the music on. Oh. You know, every once in a while I'll, I'll move on, but Apple Music, when an album stops, it goes to another album, you know, and it always goes to the TBO album. Then I end up listening to the album again. After a while I'm going, okay, I think that's a good sign. Especially for myself, I love always listening to new music. I rarely keep listening to the same thing over and over again, but maybe it's, I'm, I am proud of this album. You know, right? Uh, I think has something baby. to do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's still, I'm, I'm happy that I'm not like, oh, I don't want to listen to this anymore. I'm still actually finding. It's funny, even after editing, I'm still finding little things.
2: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, like, I'm like, sure every single like time.
0: Little, little percussion <laughs> things at Jafu. By the way, Joe Jafu is he's a percussionist for Yuzo Ren, Cosmos People. So amazing. He created all these colors. Uh, so, especially Kuzo, you hear all this percussion, like these weird, like little things on all the songs. Oh, Those that are Jafu. Okay. He is just him and then uh Hui, the vibraphone player. Those two together created, actually, I listened to this album, like, it would be a totally different album without those two. Right. And their, right, right, their right. instruments are usually not in big band, But, all the deep marimba stuff. I got her to bring in the this gigantic monstrous marimba into the studio. It was funny, like we were recording the low notes and all sudden, and he's like, "I need a different mic. This is they're so low." <laughs> but in listening to this, I do suggest I can listen to my phone, but I have a pair of AirPods Pros. It's a whole different, whole different world.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You need good headphones or good speakers.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many little minute things that these guys put in there. Just these little amazing little golden nuggets that you would never hear on your cell phone. Right, 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 right. But if you have a good pair of headphones or just a great system, it's an album worth listening to. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that, I know we're coming out with CDs, but I'm really hoping i going to get some of this also on vinyl. Yeah, they would be cool. for oh, I mean, vinyl vinyl cool. Yeah, I mean, I've already imagined trying to listen to this last song on vinyl would be just... Oh, that'd be the, crazy. The, the kind of like a decadence of it. Be, yeah. Exactly. A little
2: crispy pops every once <laughs> yeah, in a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, save me one. Save me a record. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing.
0: But yeah, we're ready in talks for the next album. Oh You, you okay. know I'm I'm, there I'm it is. Yeah yeah there's The next I, baby's coming. Actually I I probably have the next two or three albums already Oh, planned. really yeah, yeah, a yeah, whole yeah, family yeah. is coming. Yeah, yeah 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 just things have different ideas of of different people I want to work with not necessarily just Tommy's this kind of music you know different kinds of music different kinds of groups and it just I want to see what else we can keep pushing with this mentality of creating really indigenous music. Mm. And I, I don't mean like just indigenous to Taiwan made music. Right. You know, things that have been really influenced here, but using influences from around the world, not using any specific algorithm or something, but just what people really truly, the musicians truly love and what the audiences really want to, would really enjoy listening to.
2: And then you mentioned that you'll be touring this year as
0: well. Uh, myself, we're doing in May, hopefully in May, TPO is going to have a, an album concert. Okay. So we're gonna play all the songs in the album, and then myself, I'm actually going back on tour with Zhang Hui Mei, and we're gonna to be touring in China, popping back out in the country quite a bit. And hopefully, you know, I'm always looking for the next project. I'm working with Lei Qing, a couple of new things. Especially like I love working with R&B artists. I love working with hip hop. Okay. Um, you know, just this kind of things of uh, diversified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, classical music, not as much. They kind of have their own thing going on, you know? right? <laughs> um, usually, I draw them over to the dark side. <laughs> I see. <laughs> But yeah, I just want to, you know, part of the reason why I moved here is to see what else I can do. Mm. You know, in in the U.S., it's very easy to get pigeonholed. Oh, you're the Broadway orchestra guy. I'm not going to hire for these jobs. Mm. Oh, you're this guy. I'm not, you know, here in Asia, I feel like there's so much opportunity if you put yourself out there. And it's cool. This next generation of kids coming up are doing that. You know, I, I see them. They're hungry, you know, and they all learned on YouTube. Right, 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 right. Which means half the kids I know are much better players than the guys who've been playing their entire lives here. Interesting. And they're, they're 19 and 20 years old, and they're they're going to rule. And I, I don't mean like, oh, yeah, there's no, sound concepts their language, their listening, and all the gigs now are not being given to them. Huh. Because there aren't that many gigs to be given. Okay. Yeah. So they sure. have they're hungry and they gotta create. Right. And that's what they're doing right now. And I, I really think in five to ten years there's gonna be a complete like kind of revolution here.
2: Are you afraid that a lot of this talent might go abroad, right? Because there's a perpetual problem here in Taiwan is this brain drain, right? <laughs> And a lot of these talents that don't have this outlet, right, or these opportunities do traditionally go abroad. Some of them, as we said with COVID, have started to come back or can come back. Mm. But I love this. I love that you're feeling this, that you see this, you know, live and in action here. But I'm just really curious about what you think about kind of a larger picture of the future.
0: I think they need to go abroad. They need to experience New York. They need to experience LA. They need to experience London and cut Paris. Their teeth. And they have to cut their teeth in somewhere that, Music is much more of a culture. Yeah, uh, I mean, this there's, there's specific music—they have to. And I have a feeling they'll, they'll come back. Mm. Um, because to be honest, like, there's room for creativity here. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah, room. yeah. And I think that they—they're gonna realize that. You know, there's some people that have gone and they might not come back. Right. And, th- and that's fine too. But I think that there's kind of because of this revolution that they're gonna kind of realize. Oh no, people do want organic music. You know, if anything, everyone's starting to have the conversation about AI if anything ai is going to actually eat up all the the pop music mm. the people who created you know the mcdonalds of pop music music that's meant to be listened to and consumed and then thrown away mm. that music is all going to be created by ai but the people the music they want to be able to listen to especially live right need to have connection and ai just doesn't have connection in the future who knows it's incredible it's an incredible tool and then i do say this is true it's a tool an incredible tool too cuz it has all the world's intellect in one spot and you could use that to learn and also influence yourself and do things that no one's ever been able to do before. But I think that most of the time talking to people, AI is going to take over the pop music scene, which is going to make it so bland and algorithmic. People can enjoy it and dance to it, but when they really want to consume music, they're going to want something that's organic. Something made by human. They want to know it's made by human, which is going to make it more valuable,
2: right? It has a deep story. It has a deep story. It is tied, I think, just like your album, with a really deep meaning and process as well. That's connected exactly. to again the ground, right? The land.
0: Yeah, it's it's the human experience, you know, and that's something that you know maybe AI will be able to get in the future, but right now it doesn't. And you listen to music to get the human experience and the the hear it in, in song. And I, I could keep going deeper, but. That's about it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so am I afraid of uh, people leaving and coming back? It's what happens all the time. People in New York uh, come in and they come go. Musicians come in and they come go. And that's cool. And it's the way it should be. Right. Because for me, I would not be the musician I am if I was just home. You know, yeah. uh, it's because I've been to all these Latin countries. That I actually kind of understand Latin music. It's because I've been to all these, I've met all these other people. Me personally, i spend spent a lot of time in Southern Taiwan. So a lot of times when I play Taiwanese music, I really felt like I've learned how to play. It's funny when I play Taiwanese music and saxophone, a lot of people are quite shocked because they just see a white person playing Taiwanese music. They assume it's going to be very jazz. Oh. Um, but I try to really invoke, we call it yo-yo, the oily Taiwan saxophone, <laughs> you know. I, I think it's amazing, you know. Right. I can't personally listen to it a very long time, but it is a thing. Mm. Um, so try to have that be influenced because that is really what characterizes the old Taiwanese music. That has this kind of this personality to it. right? And it's not just so cut, you know, cut two, five, one, jazz, bebop. It, it doesn't have that. Right, right, right. And right. so right. those kinds of things are the reason why people really do enjoy hearing that live. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I think this really comes full circle, right? Because it's all about, as we kind of started out with this idea of wanderlust. And mm. about understanding the world, getting out there, traveling, opening our minds and being influenced as well from all of these kind of diverse places, these diverse sources.
0: That's absolutely true. You know, and I definitely credit to being in all these different countries to just uh, really opening up this box. I'm starting to realize having this great present, this is a gift. You know, that was handed to me because not judging people who do this, but people who just go to the office from eight and then 5 p.m. and then they're done. They go home and they don't have to think about any of that stuff. And some people, that's what works out really great. I can't do that. Mm. You know, I, I need to keep constantly be working on something. I don't sleep much because I just wake up like, okay, I want to do this now. I want to do this. And I feel energy. Right. You know, this is what I, I hopefully. People have given it to me, and hopefully I can pass it on to anyone who I can. And so I'm always, especially the young generation, they're the ones that influence the old generation. This is something that Stan Kenton talked about in the 1950s. He said, in the big band, you need both older and the younger generation both in there. The old guys are going to pass on the tradition. The young guys who are creating are going to affect the old guys to do something new. Mm. You know, and also it could be like, at the same time, yeah, so this guy is 20. I know you're 60 and you probably got to retire and you need this paycheck, but yeah, you could take your job. <laughs> Maybe, I, I don't know. But also it's all generations, like everyone working together is the best way. You, uh, it's a do, give and take. Yeah, it's a give and take situation. That's why I truly believe in community and probably the reason why I enjoy Big Bang. Big Bang is a community of musicians mm. uh, coming together for the sole purpose of creating music.
2: Mm. I love it, man. That's a beautiful message and beautiful story as well. All of your hard work, I think you can really feel it in this album.
0: I hope so. I, I know people will actually I shouldn't say I hope people, because everyone I've known has listened to this album really enjoyed it.
2: So go out there and get it. Twisting Roots, stream it everywhere. Don't let uh that
0: <laughs> Maria. <laughs>
2: yeah, Maria. Yeah, yeah. Don't let Maria know that we're streaming it. But yeah, yeah. But also you know find them live as well they're performing at smexy performing at different jazz festivals mm-hmm. they'll be releasing an album hopefully a vinyl as well so
0: and actually for the guys the best thing is yeah our concerts are great but they all have all their own concerts too mm. you know support live music and you'll get something out of it. it's not like oh you're just paying for expensive drinks you can really get something out of that night that you would have never gotten if you didn't hear the live music
2: right yeah and hopefully people hearing this can have a deeper appreciation when they're at those kind of things is to really realize the story behind each and every one of those individual instruments and those players and the history that they bring with them as well
0: for sure for sure and we're always looking forward to the next project and seeing what else we can do and everyone could think of something new
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. So thank you so much for coming in thank here <laughs> and sharing all these amazing stories. We know you're a busy man and you're going to have another busy year ahead of you. I really look forward to you know all of your continued success and watching you guys as you continue to build this family and community.
0: Well, thank you. And I, I hope everyone who listens to this gets something out of it. And. Yeah. Great podcast, so it was really cool. (laughs) Thank
2: you. Thank you so much. Okay. So everyone go out there, listen, listen to those moving portraits and finish it off with a nice funeral song. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. So we wish everyone a wonderful day. Peace.
0: Later. Beautiful, man.